The Rundown is a show where four Catholic men opine on current affairs of the world, the matters of faith, culture, and politics. It's unfiltered, it's daring, and it's certainly unapologetic. The Rundown is a weekly news show. But it's more than that. It's a family of like-minded Catholics who are preparing for the coming chastisement. You cover church news, politics, and current events around the world, linking them in a way no one else does, giving you the perspective no one else can. The Rundown is not meant for children because it informs and prepares parents, young adults, seminarians, even priests watch The Rundown to know about the most pressing and evolving threats to the Catholic faith today. Brought to you by Restoring the Faith Media. RestoringTheFaith.com We are The Rundown. We are feared by fake news, Catholic so-called media. We are suppressed by big tech we are your catholic disinfo hour today we're gonna be talking about all kinds of things that happened this past week papa pacha 2.0 uh francis doubles down apparently in canada are we or are we not in a recession and fauci says that we should have locked down harder although he never quote-unquote recommended that we should lock down monkeypox coming a transition. We had this strong economic growth because of the of the work that this president has done in the past 18 months. And now what we're seeing is a transition into stable and steady. And I think that we are living in an era that you young people are going to look back on and see as uh, a golden age in the life of the church. This is an extraordinary human being, uh, Pope Francis, and what he's doing. He's uh, creative. He uh, has a mind that is uh, open to uh, looking into the future. For too long, humanity has existed within dysfunctional and polluted cities that ignore nature. Now, a revolution in civilization is taking place. Imagine a traditional city and consolidating its footprint, designing to protect and enhance nature. The line will be home to 9 million residents and will be built with a footprint of just 34 square kilometers and we are designing it to provide a healthier, more sustainable quality of life. The Lions communities are organized in three dimensions. Residents have access to all their daily needs within five-minute walk neighborhoods. And the Lions infrastructure makes it possible to travel end-to-end in 20 minutes with no need for cars. 
resulting in zero carbon emissions. By leveraging AI technology, services are autonomous, saving you time and effort. Designed by world-leading architects, the line is 500 meters tall, 200 meters wide, 170 kilometers long, and housed within an elegant mirror glass facade. Intelligent solutions create efficiency and year-round temperate microclimate with natural ventilation. Energy and water supplies are 100% renewable. The line is designed as a series of unique communities, offering a wealth of amenities, providing equitable views and immediate access to the surrounding nature. With 40% of the world accessible within six hours, at the heart of the globe's key trade routes, a place for commerce and communities to thrive like nothing on earth seen before. The Line, the city that delivers new wonders for the world. I think it'll be uh, um, people will be regarded more as statistics and as actual people. I don't think it's going to be so nice. I think sort of all machines everywhere, everyone doing everything for you. You know, you'll get all bored and. I don't think it'll be so nice. First of all, those computers are taking over now. Computers and automation. And in the year 2000, there just won't, won't be enough jobs to go around. And the only jobs there will be will pe be for people with high HQ, you know, high IQ who can work computers and such things. And other people are just not going to have jobs. There just aren't going to be jobs for them to have. Existence and character, Berlin remains the most compelling argument for an open world. We're reminded of the many traditions of openness and democracy that have marked the history of this city. America missed me. <laughs> oh, man. This is a pomegranate-free podcast, the rundown, the Fab Four assembled tonight, top news Breaking in Arlington, Virginia, we go to Brother Martin. 
21 Latin masses, 21 TLMs, now condensed down to what, three parishes? Three. Essentially, yes, just three parishes. Uh, it was. There's a few more. I think there's a total of eight, but uh, the, the other five include schools and some other um, non-parishes, I, so to speak. I think it includes a hallway uh, yeah, in a basement. Like <laughs> so it's, it's kind of a joke. I think it was actually Arlington um, was supposedly – the diocese with the most traditional Latin masses, diocesan level, uh, or diocesan wise, um, in, in in the United States, I think Detroit is also up there as well. But this is it's unique in the sense that these were um, masses by diocesan priests. This wasn't like the fraternity of Saint Peter or the Institute of Christ the King, but those who made uh, great use of the permissions of Summorum Pontificum. And so now we see uh, the great the great chopping block, the one that we knew that was that was always going to come, but it was we we're just it was just a matter of when. Also breaking just hours ago, Ryan, Nancy Pelosi announcing the passing of a so-called assault weapons ban in the U.S. House of Representatives. Sending stuff over to the Senate. Well, On this vote, the yeas are 217. The nays are 213. The bill is passed. Without objection, a motion to reconsider is laid upon the table. I like that little love tap there at the end. Right? Yeah, no kidding. Um, We'll have to see how that goes because you have so many decisions. I mean, most recently Heller and then the one in New York uh, that clearly, and then the court's not going to change its position anytime soon. So you're guaranteed to have a, you know, Supreme court challenge and probably will return it. It, And like so many things you have these legislatures that haven't the faintest idea how guns actually work, how an AR 15 actually works. And it's like, if you go into places on Twitter, and there's actually a there's a, a Twitter account I follow called Bad Weapons Takes. Uh, it's got like a picture of like a dog <laughs> and, and a gun on it. It's hilarious. And he shows the most boneheaded takes possible from people who have never picked up a gun. Obviously, people who are convinced that the ammo for AR-15 somehow explodes and blows everything up. And that's why you can't use it. It's so dangerous. And uh, it's it's just slightly bigger than a twenty two. Than, than a 22 long rifle it's just more high powered really in a lot of places you're not allowed to use uh use it to hunt deer because it's too ineffective at putting down a deer so i mean we can go on and on i mean any that sounds any, really dangerous yeah i know right any <laughs> round ultimately is dangerous to you but like 22 long rifle you look at one of those little things there everyone knows they're 22 well, I guess not everyone anymore, but I mean, it's a great gun to train your kids on. It's not high powered, uh, but that will still kill a human being, right? Someone who knows, you know, what, what they're doing aims it right. He can still kill a human being. He could put, uh, you know, a 10 round magazine into that uh, without any problem or, um, you know, then there's other guns that look just that basically do the exact same thing as an air 15. They shoot the exact same rounds, but they've got wood stocks and they look really cool. And, you know, and then they're they're clip loaded, and uh, you can do just as much with that. They're not even touched by the ban. You have mm. guns more dangerous that that won't be touched by it. So, this this is one of those bills that again, it improv, it doesn't define what an assault weapon is because any gun is an assault weapon, whether it's a pistol or a twenty-two long rifle or an AR-15. And I'm not even like your biggest we- weapons expert. I'm really just familiar with guns that I actually own myself. So. 
you know, and there's other ones I like, I mean, I picked it up in anything on the air platform. I know exactly how to use, but you know, there's a whole range of weapons out there that again, this bill won't even touch. James, what is an assault weapon? I I'm, I've been scratching my head trying to understand what that is for the last 10 years. It's really, it's really anything that the Democrats say it is. So <laughs> it's uh, yeah, it's a transient, uh, definition and so you, you can't sit here it's the same thing as what what is a recession you know um you, you you can't have something that actually means anything you have to be willing and able to move from point a to point b at a moment's notice so that's that's exactly what that is this is your average day in san francisco yeah, sleeping That's insane, bro. But you, we wouldn't want you to have any sort of uh, armaments to protect yourself or your property, right, James? I can't believe this. This happened in broad daylight, and I'm not sure who the gentleman is, whether he's an accomplice or not, or just somebody uh, passing by. I'm sure it's a, it's a ladder because out there, uh, the uh, perpetrators of crime know that uh, nobody dare get in their way. Otherwise, they're going to get the brunt of their aggression. And so you you have this sort of thing happening in broad daylight. And this kind of re reminds you that the very people who are seeking to undermine uh, peace and stability and, uh, and, and to keep this and to make this country uh, uh, prosper are asleep when it comes to their own constituents and their their own uh, 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 cities and neighborhoods. What, what, what's Nancy Pelosi doing? You know, she probably probably is. Uh, living in a gated community where none of this stuff is something that she sees. But people every, every day complain about how worse it, and more de degenerate San Francisco is getting. You can't walk more than a quarter of a block without uh, having to dodge uh, human fecal matter. It's just everywhere. And this I is just a lower step. Yeah. I want to say something in defense of Nancy uh, Weinbox Pelosi. Everybody gives Joe Biden a, ba a hard time, right? They say that he oh is my senile. Goodness. They say that he is his, he's lost his marbles, that he's that he's beyond his prime. He's no spring chicken. Nancy Pelosi rivals fake Catholic Serpent in Chief Joe Biden and takes a little bit of load off of his shoulders, don't you think? We're sending stuff over to the Senate. Well, it's, it's most of the product that we've done is, except now what we, we may have added in the last hour or so, and some of what we added is Senate to the bill, like a hearing. Bernie doesn't like hearing. Excuse me. Bernie loves hearing. <laughs> Manchin doesn't want hearing in the bill and all that stuff. Um, so some is Senate-oriented, and then we had the family medical need. We figured if they're putting things in, then we can put something in, if, even if Manchin doesn't like it. So, um, uh, so we are getting some bird and privilege I think I think mostly we're getting privilege scrub, because privilege drug is deadly to a bill. Birdable, it's important. It's you have to take it out, but privilege violation can take you out. So so we're again getting that as we go along as well. But when we pass a bill, then they will f see it in its aggregate and make uh, some. Messaging because that they have to take some of those things out regardless, no matter what you send over. You said you weren't going to send a, a messaging bill. 
No, no, we're going to send messaging to Bill, but we uh, want to be sure that what we send is not birdable or bird bath or privilege scrub. They're the two um, exercises we can engage bathing exercises. Okay, I have no idea what the heck she's talking about, but uh, <laughs> I <think she> either. <laughs> but James James hit on something. I think that's going to become the theme of tonight's show. Tonight's show is going to be all about reality, surreality, anti-reality, disinformation, misinformation. Even the D, DJT is picking up on this. I asked I asked uh, James what is an assault weapon. He says it's whatever the Democrats say it is. DJT agrees. And I'll tell you what, if I were ever, uh, I'd be the greatest woman's basketball coach in history. Because I don't like LeBron James. I like Michael Jordan much better. But, but, I'd, but I'd go up to LeBron James. It doesn't matter. I'd say, LeBron, did you ever have any desire to be a woman? Because what I'd love you to do is star on my team that I'm building up. I will have the greatest team in history. They'll never lose. Nobody will come within 70 points of this team. Now, we have to change that, and we have to make it okay to talk about it. You know the young lady I was talking about? We have to make it okay to talk about objective reality, Brother Martin. And it's great, too, because he employs sarcasm, um, which I guess is one of the tools that even us on the rundown. Maybe he's taking a note from us on the rundown where we use sarcasm <laughs> to really draw forth the absurdity of the leftist arguments because, I mean, we probably have a video queued up for later on where – um, who's the vice president now, Kamala Harris? Mm. Uh, she was at a meeting in Europe or somewhere, and she opens up the meeting, saying, giving her pronouns, telling that she's a woman wearing a blue suit. And, <laughs> and on Twitter, you know, there's there's Russian um, politicians like openly mocking her. And this is this is what we're doing. We're we're making ourselves a complete laughing stock um, with with yeah. the the supposed female basketball player that was caught uh, tra- transferring marijuana or whatever over in Russia. Uh, we're trading a, a, a criminal, national war criminal, Russian war criminal, just to get back some celebrity, uh, WNBA. Who even, who even knows that WNBA even continues to exist? Uh, we're just making ourselves a complete laughing stock over uh, uh, all of our politics and all of our uh, equality issues and, and, and all that sort of, sort of nonsense. And uh, it's great that there is a conservative willing to, to mock it. WNBA is certainly not something that I follow, but Ryan, Kamala has had two major gaffes this week that everyone left and right has picked up on in this first clip she says she well you can tell what the gaffe is to put it in law there may be litigation but we will be in a much better position than um than to not do that and you know listen women are getting pregnant every day in america Women are getting pregnant every day in America, Ryan. What did she just say? Well, who, who, who never? Who knew? Well, my wife's pregnant. Well, how did that happen? I'm triggered. I have no idea. Are you saying that only women get pregnant? Uh, how badly do we want to get canceled? <laughs> uh, good afternoon. I want to welcome these leaders for coming in to have this very important discussion. Um, about some of the most pressing issues of our time. Um, I am Kamala Harris. My pronouns are she and her. I am a woman sitting at the table wearing a blue suit. I am a woman? 
How do you even know what that is? Are we in kindergarten? This is like uh, the movie we uh, previewed for our kids and let them watch Boss Baby, which I still can't believe they made, to be perfectly honest. Um, Boss Baby is one of those movies that uh, <clears throat> they become kids again. And then at a different, the second one, they become kids again, and they kind of look at the absurdity of a lot of baby stuff and and whatnot. And I'm thinking of this. It's like, did she go back to kindergarten when she's at that table? It's so ludicrous. But and like you said, of course, they they can't keep the story straight. It's been the same way since Roe. It's like, oh, all of a sudden we know what women are. We're talking about women's rights. What what is a woman that women have these rights that you're you know to kill their baby and whatnot. Um, oh, well, uh, well, not just women, you know, birthing persons to, uh, uh, yeah, women who are pretending to be men. Um, no, 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 birthing persons now. Yeah, but the, you're just screaming for women's rights all week. So, I mean, they, they can't keep it straight, all of it, but it's, it, some of that's it's somewhat intentional, I think, because it's all about destabilizing everything. Yes. And you don't know what's up and you don't know what's down. And they don't care if they're consistent. Sometimes they intend not to be. Because That's right. everyone off their, you know, on their toes, everyone guessing, everyone off. Same thing in, in the church where um, you now can be, uh, you know, the, the Pope can be smudged by spirits of uh, uh, basically take part in a ceremony worshiping demons. And that's okay. But you can't have a traditional Latin mass. That that's verboten in in uh, D.C. in Arlington in uh, Rome. You can't have one during Triduum, and pretty soon ever when they get get to that point, that's um, that's absolutely verboten. But it's perfectly okay to go worship a demon. So I mean, it's a similar thing with everything else. It's um, yeah. Th- th- there's you know, th- men can have, be pregnant, and but but we're t- but women are getting pregnant. You know, which is it? They they want you purposely. Birthing people, encouraged. yeah, they they want you focusing on on this or that or that other thing and not um, on what we need to be doing, which of course is counter revolution. Instead of countering every stupid thing they do, we know they're stupid. We know they're out in left field, and they know it too. At least the people pulling the strings on all this stuff. Yeah, um, James. Somebody in the comments, followers. Somebody said this is designed to make us go insane. I, I, I think I think that's Ryan hit on that as well. This is not this is beyond diabolical disorientation. I mean, this is like uh, the, the violation of the of the principle of non-contradiction that a thing cannot simultaneously be and not be. You know, I'm both a woman, but not a woman. Uh, women both give birth, but don't also give birth. Uh, in a minute, we're going to see Fauci say that we should have locked down harder, but we never locked down. Re- we never should have locked down. I never advised it. I mean, th- these people are insane. It's absolutely chaos out there in the uh, progressive liberal uh, mindset, you know. And of course, it's it's uh, being passed on to us, you know, because we're getting uh, aggravated as, as we should. It's frustrating. Um, I was laughing at this the other day, but I saw somebody picked up on my uh, satire. I'm not sure if. Uh, if they saw my post or whatever, but I was joking how the next step would be instead of saying, uh, you know, something ludicrous as uh, a guy saying, you know, I am her or she, her or whatever he, you know, this person would say I am she, him, you know? So now it's like, there's, there's the next level of ludicrousy that they're pushing for. They're always finding the next button to push because they know, they know people 
will sit there and just nod and say, yes, whatever it is this person says, I, I'm going to go with it because I cannot be racist and I cannot be bigoted. And instead, instead of actually calling out somebody, this is like the emperor walking around naked and a little kid has the, has the audacity to call this thing out. But everybody else, all the adults in the room are sitting there just applauding at the lunacy that's going on. And that's kind of where we are, that a vice president, Kamala Harris, or however she pronounces her name, will sit there and openly look at other adults in the room and tell them that she's a woman. You know, you know what would be make you know what would be really impressive for me is if I heard Michelle Obama utter those same words. Oh, I'll be really I impressed. Any, I don't think there's any video evidence of her making that claim, but there is video evidence of little Fauci going back on his word. We know now, two and a half years later, that anywhere from fifty to sixty percent of the transmission occur from someone without symptoms, either someone who never will get symptoms or someone who is in the pre-symptomatic stage. Had we known that then, the insidious nature of spread in the community would have been much more of an alarm and there would have been much, much more stringent uh, restrictions in the sense of very, very heavy encouraging people to wear masks, physical distancing or what have you. We should have locked down harder, Ryan. That's what he's saying. But in this same interview, he also said this. I wonder if you would recommend locking down schools if you had to do it all over again. Well, you know, again, it's uh, first of all, I didn't recommend locking anything down. You're, you're, you're asking me questions. You're talking about the CDC is the public health agency mm -hmm. that uses their epidemiologists and their science based approach to make recommendations. It was a decision to make a recommendation to the president. It wasn't my decision that I could implement. And when it became clear that when we had um, community spread in the country with a few cases of community spread, this was way before there was a major explosion like we saw in the Northeastern corridor driven by New York City metropolitan area, I recommended to the president that we shut the country down. I recommended to the president that we shut the country down. We should have locked down harder. I never said we should have locked down. This man is also insane, Ryan. He's crazy. He's lost his mind. You know, I don't think he has. To be perfectly honest, like I was saying before, I, I think it's really gaslighting the public. Um, I mean, it could just be the type of thing that he's doing so many interviews, he's just not even aware of what he's saying. Uh, I give people who speak in public like a range, of, a margin of error, because I speak in public as well. And, you know, so I've had a few gaffes when I when you're up there at the microphone, you just keep, keep moving on. Don't call too much attention to it. Laugh about it later. Say, yeah, 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 I, I completely screwed that up. Some analogy on grace or something like that. But anyway, but this is deliberate. This is very deliberate. It's not on purpose. And it, in my opinion, he really is trying to gaslight everyone. Yeah, I never told you to lock down. And in the background, what do we have prepping around the corner? Well, the unspecified um, Harambe virus, um, trying to figure out how not to get us canceled. The Harambe virus, if you will, which is sexually transmitted, is now, you know, they're declaring that a, a, a new scamdemic. 
and they want to have uh, you know everyone start to follow suit. Of course, who follows suit? San Francisco. Hmm, I wonder why. But <laughs> they're laying the groundwork with all of these things to to again put in because really you know we've we've had discussions too on whether uh, the, the nature of the unspecified uh, virus of unspecified origin and, and things of this sort. But really, I think if the integral part of what Fauci was doing and what his job was from Trump to Biden was to prepare the ground for, yeah, 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 there's this consensus. You got to get it. We all we all agree. You got to get it. You got to listen to the science. I'm the science. You got to listen to it. Well, why? Because, they, they, again, trust the authority. Get the stuff in your arm that we tell you to ignore the effects and of course uh, the the corporate trillions in profits that come from having to force the entire planet to take this stuff that's or the, you know get governments to buy it in order to force their citizens to get it and then charge it out of taxes and whatnot it, it's laying the ground for that and i think they're laying the ground for yeah obey it's settled you'll get it and now we're going to have the next bit which is going to ignore just like during the AIDS crisis, ignore the sexually transmitted nature of that of the Harambe virus, and say that all right, everyone's got to get the, this this next untested medical product now. Harambe virus is now a global pandemic, according to this man. For all of these reasons, I have decided that the global monkeypox outbreak represents a public health emergency of international concern. Uh, Dr. Tedros is exceptionally worried about the monkey virus, and there's a reason for that. It tends to spread at events that he likes to be at. Brother Martin, it makes perfect sense why Dr. Tedros would be uh, personally very worried about the Harambe virus, doesn't it? Absolutely, and probably why he's going to have to rush a vex, uh, jab, whatever, a new one uh, for these guys. The I guess I'll, for the sake of the YouTube, I'll use mono, the, the Spanish word for for the for the animal, of which after this is named. Um, <laughs> I mean, it, it is characterizing, and kind of going back to... to um, what Ryan was saying and, and what you were saying about the how this make this is to make this go, all go insane when everybody else is is denying re reality around us and we seem to be the only people that accept reality we tend to think that we're the ones insane you, you showed a video a couple of weeks ago on uh, on the rundown of that one lady sitting in an elevator who had to conform to everybody else who who, who was facing the wrong way that's exactly what it, what this is all designed to do but it's also it it goes to explain why um they're they're such hypocrites. They're such hypocrites, um, precisely because they don't care about the truth. Why would they care about being hypocrites? Uh, to not be a hypocrite is to be consistent, which is to be consistent with the truth of anything. But to, to be a hypocrite is ultimately to, to be a liar. And if they don't care about truth to begin with, they, they don't care about objective reality to, be, to begin with, then yeah. to be a hypocrite isn't something that's that's a negative. And so they don't see anything wrong with it whatsoever as long as it's uh, towards the end game, as long as it moves the football one, one yard closer to, to the end zone, that's the game they're playing. Um, and so it is designed to make us insane. It is designed to make a new reality, which is the reality of, of, of subjective reality. Um, mm -hmm. So th this is what we're standing up against. 
your fake Catholic super in chief, supposedly 80 million votes president who campaigned from the basement never left was once again quarantined all week with uh, the unspecified virus for the second time. Good thing he had five vaccines. Um, And he took this question. Mr. President, we're getting GDP numbers on Thursday. How worried should Americans be that we could be in a recession? We're not going to be in a recession, uh, in my view. Uh... Okay, we're not going to be in a recession from the, see, the, the man who claims to be the president of the United States. What are you, that, gay? That he trots out yelling. <laughs> Here she is uh, to back him up. Um, a, a common definition of recession is two negative quarters of GDP growth, or at least that's something that's been true in past recessions. When we've seen that, mm-hmm. there has usually been a recession. And many economists uh, expect second quarter GDP to be negative. First quarter GDP was negative. So we could see that happen, and that will be closely watched. But I do want to emphasize what a recession really means is a broad-based contraction in the economy. And even if that number is negative, we are not in a recession now. Okay, so Yellen starts off and she says... Two consecutive quarters of negative GDP growth equals recession. We are about to have a second quarter of negative GDP growth, but that doesn't mean that we're in a recession. And the White House uh, chief economic advisor agrees with that line of thinking. Many of you have uh, reported on. Um, as Secretary Yellen said on Sunday, uh, two negative quarters of GDP growth is not uh, the technical definition of recession. It's not the definition that economists have traditionally uh, relied on it's not the technical definition of recession or the re- or the definition of recession that economists have historically relied on okay then mrs white house representative what is the definition of recession where we are today if things are going so great though then why is it the white house officials are trying to redefine recession no we're not redefining recession if we all understand a recession to be two consecutive quarters of negative GDP growth in a row, and then you have White House officials come up here to say, no, 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 that's not what a recession is. It's something else. How is that not redefining recession? Because that's not the definition. That is not the definition. Brian Deese said in 2008, of course, economists have a technical definition, which is of a recession, which is two consecutive quarters of negative growth. I can tell you this. And yesterday said two two negative quarters of GDP growth is not the technical definition of a recession. It is what not. Changed? It is not. Why did he say that? It, it was, is not. I can I can speak to I can speak to you to what he said yesterday in front of all of you, which is the last thing that you just repeated. There are many factors. There are many factors, economic factors and indicators to consider, uh, and. I will say that uh, the textbook definition of recession is not is not two negative quarters of GDP. We- That's so weird because my economics textbooks say exactly the opposite. Both Chairman Powell and many of the uh, um, uh, significant uh, banking personnel and economists say we're not in a recession. Okay, James. He says we're not going to be in a recession. He trots out all of the experts, sends them on all the Sunday shows. Then he relies on that public testimony to tell you that what you thought you knew, what you thought was the truth, what you've always known, uh, what you learned in high school economics has just been a lie. 
beat you to it. Uh, he's basically re- relying, I mean, all his team, right, basically including Janet Yellen there, uh, they're relying on semantics, you know, if you want to put it that way. Uh, I mean, w- what is inflation if it's not with that technical definition of it? You can talk your way around it all you want, but we've always understood recession to be two quarters of negative GDP growth. And that's exactly what this is. There's no if, ands, or buts. There's no wait a second. Uh, it looks like here we're on a trajectory for a you know, positive GDP growth in Q3 or in Q4, rather. Uh, he, I'm not sure exactly how this White House is. I mean, but you know what? Hey, um, he's only repeating what uh, his predecessor did Obama, right? Didn't Obama redefine the meaning of inflation? And then all the dictionaries picked that up back in 2010, something of that that nature. So this is something in recent years. We're starting to see a lot of people sort of redefine, uh, you know, terminologies that we've always known to be one way whenever it suits them. You know, now you don't have reality to deal with. You're contending with your own made up truth, your own made up, uh, you know, falsehood and then putting it out there as a as a, uh, a reality. And that's exactly why you and I are sitting here befuddled. You know, this is absolutely crazy. But we have to trust the government. The most up-to-date information daily. You can trust us as a source of that information. Uh, you can also trust the Director General of Health and the Ministry of Health. For that information, do feel free to visit at any time to clarify any rumour you may hear. COVID19.govt.nz Otherwise, dismiss anything else. We will continue to be your single source of truth. We will provide information frequently. We will share everything we can, uh, everything you are, else you see, um, a grain of salt. We will be your single source of truth, Brother Martin. Anything else you hear, throw it out with a grain of salt. Yeah, that's a huge red flag. Unfortunately, though, in New Zealand, I think that's where this uh, this politician was from. Uh, I mean, New Zealand, Australia, these countries are kind of already lost in the sense that, um, I mean, they're mostly leftist, atheist. The government are literally, um, I think there was a, a young lady who came out to speak about a particular journalist, a former journalist, um, to kind of share who he's been behind the scenes, who was telling about her own personal marriage because she used to be a conservative commentator and her saying that, you know, she married someone in Australia and she couldn't uh, uh, basically go back into Australia to, to marry him unless she left behind her conservative uh, being publicly conservative. And, and so these, these two places, like it's, 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 it's almost like the, I don't know why they're going to Sri, Sri Lanka, the WF to, to try new, new, uh, new procedures of what they want to do to the rest of the world, because it seems like New Zealand and Australia are perfectly capable, perfectly willing to mm-hmm. implement all of the lockdowns and all of the, the, the new measures um, to control us because they're, they're already doing it 100%. Uh, well, we, we, we need look no further than the American left coast, Ryan. Hey, everyone. Bonjour tout le monde. Uh, I'm in California today with Governor Newsom. Uh, we're signing a, an agreement to make sure we continue uh, the deep partnership we've had on fighting climate change, on protecting our environment, in creating good green jobs, and moving forward in ways that really matter to people. C'est un grand plaisir de pouvoir travailler si proche avec la Californie uh, sur les enjeux qui sont importants pour les Canadiens. Uh, Governor Newsom, talk about this partnership. Well, there's 
Brésilés et ne parlent français. Mais vous n'avez pas besoin de parler la même langue pour comprendre que nous sommes tous ensemble. Le divorce n'est pas une option. Et nous sommes ici sur le sujet qui extend, je pense, une global conscience, et c'est le sujet du climat. Vous êtes dans un état où nous sommes expérimentés les extrêmes. Et nous sommes sur le leading et cutting edge, non seulement avec les réalités de ça, mais aussi les opportunités. Et c'est pourquoi c'est tellement génial d'avoir vous ici, Monsieur le Premier ministre, pour se concentrer sur ces partenariats et les opportunités d'avancer ensemble. Divorce is not an option when it comes to the agenda. Divorce is always an option when it comes to your personal uh, sexual habits, though. But divorce is never an option, Ryan, when it comes to climate change and economies and McDonald's diplomacy and global homo. It's a uh, government made it so that uh, you can't divorce from it, but you can divorce your wife on a whim or, or vice versa. So it... it um, Again, the, the hypocrisy, the, the gaslighting of, of so many of the elites on all these things, it, it reminds me of, if you'll tolerate a sci-fi pop culture reference, um, by watching with my son uh, Babylon 5, which was one of my favorite sci-fi shows when I was a teen. And there's one episode, Earth goes full Orwellian in, in that series. And, and they're out in space away from it, but there's an episode where a political officer comes in from the Ministry of Peace. And she's explaining to the captain, to Captain Sheridan, how there's there's no more poverty and there's no more homelessness on Earth. And, and oh, yeah, and everyone who wants a job can get a job. So if people don't have jobs. It's actually because they're mentally ill, because only a mentally ill person would not take a job. Right. And, you know, and so on and so forth. She goes through all this list of things of why Earth is it's everything so perfect now. And it is not by it's like, so when did you accomplish all this? And she said, when we rewrote the dictionary. Right. And that's that's where we are now. Rewrite recession. <laughs> you look at, uh, you know, Trudeau and, and Newsom are going to get down there. And it's like California now. It, it's, it's impossible. I don't know how anyone is able to live in any metropolitan area in California. I mean, you got people San Francisco, for example. I mean, where it's massive gentrification, even where the prices are going down, people really can't afford to live there. And people who are, you know, who are just hanging on and they have maybe some storefront business well they'll come in the morning and it's all graffiti so they'll pay who knows how much money to get that all cleaned up right and then they'll come back the next day and it's graffiti and they'll pay to clean it up again and then the city sends them a bill oh you didn't clean this up fast enough and we saw it so you're so we're fining you for for having this graffiti here but we won't arrest the people spraying the graffiti that that's a no-no we can't do that yeah that's probably racist It's absolutely racist. And, and well, look, if you don't live in California, you may face things like weather, like this unfortunate fellow who uh, sadly discovered that his favorite Jamaican restaurant was closed. Here's his reaction. Uh, what can we say? Hey, let's let's stick with this whole climate uh, theme and go to Al Gore. Remember him? Said that I really agree with is that if we want more pro climate policies, we need to elect more pro climate uh, senators and representatives in both parties. And we've got an election coming up, and uh, th this is time for all of us to step up. You know, the climate deniers uh, uh, are really in some ways similar to all of those uh, almost 400 law enforcement officers in Uvalde, Texas, 
who were waiting outside an unlocked door uh, while the children were being massacred. They heard the screams. They heard the gunshots and uh, nobody stepped forward. Climate deniers are as bad as those 400 police officers who refused to save the children from a deranged gunman armed with uh, high, uh, highly expensive equipment that, of course, uh, he couldn't afford. Speaking of Uvalde, my new favorite guy, Alex Stein. Have you seen this guy? I think we played him a couple times. Alex Stein showed up to the city council meeting in Uvalde. Here's what he had to say. I'm here in Uvalde, Texas, at Robb Elementary School, the site of the mass shooting where 19 children and two teachers died. Normally, I try to bring awareness in a humorous way, but tonight I'm speaking at the local city council meeting to expose the lack of response time from the police force. 372 officers waited 77 minutes to go in and stop Salvador Ramos. I'm here to bring attention to that so that nothing like this happens in the future and we have police that are more courageous. Thank you, Council. My name is Alex Stein, and uh, a lot of times I speak at a lot of city council meetings, and usually I like to use my platform to make people laugh, to expose a lot of the leadership problems that we have. But here today, there's nothing funny. When I drive into your city, there's a stain on this city that will never be lifted, ever. It doesn't matter what you do. It doesn't matter how reactive you are. It's your lack of proactive results. We have Principal Gutierrez, who was fired, that knew of security issues. Knew of it. The principal knew of security issues. And now 21 people are dead, 19 students. So you can say, oh, well, it's not, it's the lack of police force. Well, really, let me go, Chip. Let me use my three minutes. Listen, I understand you're not the school district, but this is your city. Are you the leader of this city, Chip? Do you lead this city? You're telling me the city council is not the leaders of this city? Is that what you're telling me? Is that what you're trying to tell me, Chip? So you guys don't consider yourself leaders? See, that's why. It's because you don't consider yourself a leader. You don't take responsibility for your action. That's why you sit there, and that's why you are a direct reflection of these cops. They were cowards. It took them 77 minutes, and you're a coward. You sit there like a coward trying to combat what I'm saying. I'm bringing awareness to your city. You still had the audacity. After 21 people died, Chief Arredondo, you swore him in. I don't care that he resigned. You swore him in. You do two meetings a month. Mayor McLaughlin, that's 24 meetings a year. Can't even show up. I don't care where he's at. He should be here digitally. I don't see a screen with his face. This is 2022. We just had a pandemic. People can be at a meeting digitally and remotely. But Uvalde, you can't figure it out. Because you can't protect your 21 kids. And you can't run a meeting digitally. Because you know why? He doth protest too much. You know you're guilty, and you feel guilty, and that's why you're yelling. That's why you're combating me, and that's why I'm here to expose you guys because we've got to hold our leadership responsible for 21 people being dead. Do you realize that? Do you know how many people? I think we all know, and we're all very frustrated with what's happening. I know you did not pull the trigger, but it doesn't matter. There is a set of circumstances that a domino effect happened. One domino set off stuff that a kid was able to get through an unlocked door and shoot 21 people. That's pathetic. That's disgusting. And now this is the biggest story in the entire world. And guess what? They're going to take away, they're trying to take away the guns from 350 million people because a school couldn't lock a back door, basically. And because of the response time was so disgusting, 77 minutes. I have these pictures. This is not you, Balde. I want you guys to show you this. This is somebody doing hand sanitizer. He's more worried about protecting himself from COVID 
than protecting the 19 children that were bleeding to death. This is a cop on his phone smiling. There's nothing funny about 19 children bleeding to death on their cell phones saying, I want my mom. And then when their mom tried to run in, what did they do? They stopped the parents from coming in the school. And if you deny climate change, says Al Gore, you're one of those guys using hand sanitizer, Ryan. Does does the analogy now make sense to everybody? (laughs) Right, exactly. Because you're looking at this thing, which Al Gore, let's see. How many times has Al Gore predicted the world would be ended because of climate change if we did nothing? Oh, let's see. I, I know he said 2012, 2016, he said the world would end. 2018, the world would end. I mean, there's so many times when he's come around. Say, meanwhile, he's got beachfront property in San Diego. Why are you going to buy de- beachfront property in San Diego if you are convinced that the ice caps are melting? And you're not going to mention your connections to big oil. And you're not going to mention... Yeah. Why didn't you, you buy property in Phoenix? <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's where I'd be buying it. If I thought the ice caps were going to melt and California's going to sink into the ocean, man, I'd be buying up that desert property just waiting for that to happen. But that, that's not what he's doing. And no. everything he's investing instead is in the technocratic control grid that's going to control our ability to just produce anything. Because climate change is no it's it's again it's a lot of nonsense again just like biden showing up down there just like all these fools showing up in uvalde i already gave my conspiracy theory in uvalde i'm not going to repeat it again but um but irrespective of any of that it's using the tragedy and the horror of whatever did in fact happen there uh the, the horror of it to make your political stump that's what gore is doing now just as biden was using it for gun control just as you know uh, trotting out celebrities and they get Matthew McConaughey. Oh, you're from here. Get down here and you, you say something about taking people's guns away again. It's like, yeah, it, wait, wait. So the response time was how long from the cops? And uh, so I need to not have a gun and wait for the cops. Yeah, right. Armed parents arrived faster than the cops. Armed parents to save their own children. What do you think we need to do? Oh, we need a revolution. And we need it now. Not later. Now. Counter-revolution. Counter, I know. I, I wish he had said counter-revolution. Maybe we can do a little uh, little sound design on, on that one. Um, hey, by the way, while we're talking climate and Trudeau and Canada and Gore, no big deal. Just another fertilizer train in Canada derailed. James, there's nothing to see here, right? I mean, there's, there's there's really nothing for us to talk about on the rundown. This is not a coincidence. How could this be a coincidence? There's so many of these events that have happened over the course of the last few months for this to be a coincidence, you know. And this is not just this is not the first uh, set of cars that have fallen over on the side of the road containing fertilizer. This is absolutely crazy that this is happening this way. And all we can do is sort of record it on our phones and nothing happens. You know, there's no investigation into how uh, these accidents keep happening, <laughs> you know, but here, here we are uh, in a few months, I can only imagine uh, we're going to be scrambling to buy food that doesn't exist. 
Um, well, when it rains, it pours, right? I mean, let's go to Ukraine. Pues no, República Popular de Lugansk. Ha costado bastante llegar hasta aquí y estoy como podéis observar en mitad de todo un cementerio de cenizas. Esto no son cenizas corrientes, es trigo quemado. Y lo que tengo detrás es un almacén de trigo que está quemándose aún en estos instantes. Muchos se preguntan. Inside Ukraine, huge silos why of wheat. Yeah, why she speaking yeah. Spanish in Ukraine? That's my question. Uh, well, well, because we don't have any English-speaking reporters there who are going to say the truth, I guess. Uh, <laughs> besides that, what's that guy, Lord? What's his name on Twitter? I think he's, I think he's pretty funny. Uh, and he's been over there quite a bit. But here, she, she's documenting this stuff. Meanwhile, Ryan, uh, where's Zelensky? Oh, he's in New York City doing a Vogue shoot. Tone deaf. See, uh, tell me again, yes, how this uh, conflict in Ukraine is an authentic, naturally occurring, uh, you know, conflict by evil Russia against, you know, patriotic, wonderful, democracy-loving Ukraine. So democracy-loving that Zelensky has gone even more authoritarian than Putin, if that's possible, apart from the Chinese, <laughs> to, to, you know, ban all political opposition to himself. And he's, he's leading this great crusade uh, doing Vogue shoots and giving um, commencement addresses to high school and college students and meeting with uh, Sean Penn and probably Bono for all I know, who knows whoever else, uh, you know, going to the G7 and talking about climate change and Ukraine's going to meet Paris Climate Accord agreements. It's like, you know, don't forget. Yeah. Don't forget. He met with Tom Cruise also. Yeah. Right. There we go. Right. Um, I mean, the whole thing's fake and staged uh, on every level of it. it. It's just at the perfect time when they're warning about food crises and you have the place that produces close to a third of the world's grains in our new global food, food supply. Yep. Uh, all of a sudden it's producing zero. And boy, I wonder what effect that's going to have. Oh, what do you know? It's going to bring about the self-fulfilling prophecy of Klaus Schwab and all these other people. That's right. And, and occasionally they get on TV and they say exactly what they want. This country, George, there's a big emphasis on agriculture and how agriculture needs to cut its emissions. And I know it's an it's an issue you feel very strongly about. You've said that agriculture is arguably the most destructive industry on earth. Explain. And, and do you still believe that, George? It's by far and away the greatest cause of habitat destruction, the greatest cause of wildlife loss, the greatest cause of extinction, greatest cause of soil loss, greatest cause of fresh water use. It's one of the greatest causes of climate breakdown, um, bigger than transport, um, one of the primary causes of water pollution and of air pollution. So it's right at the top. Oh, I'm sorry, I forgot to say land use, the biggest issue of all. It's by far and away the greatest um, um, uh, form of land use that, that humans um, inflict on the planet, which means all that land is land which can't be used for wild ecosystems. And while obviously we need farming, we need to minimise those impacts. We, we need um, to act as drastically within that sector as any other sector to prevent the collapse of our life support systems. And what that means above all else 
is getting out of livestock farming, is really shutting down animal farming altogether because that has massively disproportionate impacts on the living planet. This man definitely is a soy boy, but he gets on TV and he says, we can't have meat, we can't have eggs anymore because, uh, comma, uh, habitats, wildlife. And he's mixing things that are a mix of truth and falsity. So, for example, if you look at widespread industrial agriculture, he actually does have a point with respect to especially the local ecosystem, the local environment. I mean, if you've ever seen any of these massive livestock operations, say, in the Midwest, I can't speak to the rest of the world. But, you know, they're these horrible, horrible conditions where you're crowding as much cattle as you possibly can into some area. And they've got poop, you know, above their knees and they, um, you know, they just pump full of antibiotics because of course you don't want them to get sick while they're sitting in, in poop up to their knees because that's this is the most industrially efficient way to do that and again with chickens that they've bred to be flavorless tasteless but they get bigger so there's more meat interestingly so whenever they talk about the solution it's always uh yeah there's just nothing you can do we're just going to shut down the big agriculture that we forced everyone onto. And we're not going to try to have a, sust- a real sustainable solution, such as, oh, I don't know, um, small to medium range farming, more widely divided. We'll give government grants and or tax breaks to people who want to homestead and people who want to raise sheep and actually bring it to market. And we're going to get rid of all the whole USDA system and forbidding a, you know, a producer from selling directly to the public. We're going to do all these things that will encourage healthier, more sustainable means you the animal fertilizer rather than the chemical fertilizer. And what in a, in a gradual transition to that would allow you to actually have better quality meat. It would solve a lot of health problems. It would solve a lot of economic problems. But it's never on the table. Going smaller and better divided, that's healthier for the animals, that's more, you know, that's a smarter animal husbandry, that's also good for the land, by the way. You get it, you get an area that'd be bad topsoil. What's the best thing you could do for it? Run sheep. Run sheep on it for six, seven years. Next thing you know, that that's going to be abundantly fertile and, and far improved from the condition it was previously. And it, um, you know, the, the industrial thinking is like, oh, yeah, that'll never work. You need all these chemicals. You got to pump in there. You run the sheep for a few years and then you get better results than you do with the chemical fertilizer. Yep. So there's so many different angles. But again, the smaller, better divided private ownership model, they're not talking about that. They're only talking about, yeah, the industrial thing. We can't possibly imagine anything else. And so we've just got to make it you know, produce less of these emissions that are so bad for the, we think for the planet with zero evidence of that, of course, but. Yeah. Let me, let me jump in there, Ryan, uh, to sort of back up what you're saying. I mean, this is a very good question. We had to start thinking about this from this uh, perspective. So what you just outlined there from that gentleman who last spoke, I mean, would you agree that this is sort of a, a push to sort of normalize the ideas behind agenda 21 seeking to control uh, you know, mass population through zoning, uh, maybe even seizure of property and to strip uh, national sovereignty. Yeah, because the, the problem here is to reduce the damage that's been inflicted on, on the earth, you know, uh, and, you know, of course, reducing population, uh, you know, increasing uh, uh, zoning measures, putting people in cardboard boxes that go this way up, right, right, to free up all that land. Is, what would you say? I'd say that the climate agenda has always been the fulcrum and, and the lever uh, to push the global government and to push the the uh, you know the agenda 21 policy, the depopulation agenda, because all of the people who are the movers and shakers who make these agendas, 
right, who make these decisions. There's NGOs, heads of corporations, massive multi-billion dollar corporations, lobbyists, governments, and all the people at the centers of power, they're all Malthusians. They all believe the world is overpopulated. And the only way you get that population reduction is if you control the means of production and you do it ultranationally. you got to go to have somebody that can at least penalize countries that don't go along with it all. And that's and so you need to undermine the national sovereignty. You need to undermine right. that. And, and of course, just like we've seen with the uh, um, the Wuhan devil, um, you know, trust the science. You've got to do this because we say they've been pushing that for years. But most people really didn't buy it because the real world consequences, of course, of shutting down all industry are we're all going to starve. So nobody's really bought in to the, the climate skepticism has been high for years. And I think by 2020, they realized that we're not going to make that. I mean, they, they're already missing a lot for that Agenda 21 target gate, uh, date. They're really missing Agenda 2030 unless we put this in a hyperdrive. And so between, you know, and it's interesting how I think we predicted this too a year ago, two years ago about the, the pivot that's going to be made from the, uh, the unspecified virus and the, in the everything straight away to climate change. And because right off the bat, there were articles, even the Vatican was putting garbage like this out there. Oh, what a, what a great, look how nature's rebounding. Well, everyone's locked up and not doing anything. Isn't this great? And you already With, saw uh, it back Jeffrey then. Trying to seed the ground. Yep. Trying to seed the ground and move over to, uh, you know, pun intended there, <laughs> not intended there, but, um, you know, trying to, trying to prepare the ground to get to where, uh yeah we see for the climate we're gonna lock down for the climate because that's the next thing that'll come especially if um they're successful with the harambe virus and whatever's coming down the road locking people down or whatever it is they're gonna do that's what you're gonna see i think and it's gonna be all pushed to global government yep uh the only person who seems to be taking on the global government too by the way uh and i don't again this is He's saying the right things. It's very inspiring. I like him. His name is Ron DeSantis. He's the governor of the state of Florida. Here's a couple minutes with him and Tucker where he's taking on the the specifically the uh, f- global financial tyranny that is headed our way. ...of global investing right now, but try to get someone to define with precision what ESG is, and no one will, because there is no precise definition, because the point of it is to push corporate investors to the left, and then, of course, to punish anyone who dissents. In pursuit of high ESG scores, poor countries like Sri Lanka have destroyed their economies and then saw their government toppled as a result. Countries like Germany are dimming their traffic lights to save electricity because ESG. So if ESG accelerates in this country, you can imagine where we will be. Very few politicians seem aware this is even happening. One who does know what's going on and is doing something to stop it is the governor of Florida, Ron DeSantis. He has an announcement tonight about his plan to fight ESG in the state of Florida. Governor DeSantis joins us now. Governor, thanks so much for coming on and thanks for noticing this. It's a, it's a big deal. Um, so what are you going to do to push back? Well, Tucker, we're going to do a couple things. First, we are going to do through Florida state pension system a flat ban on any type of ESG. And as you say, they like to wiggle around. It's basically a way for them to do politics. Uh, So we're going to make sure that that fiduciary duty is defined very clearly. 
and that they stick to that. Uh, we also want to provide protections for people in the financial marketplace from being discriminated against based on ideology. I mean, we've seen Wall Street banks discriminate against contractors who are involved in helping us against illegal immigration or against firearm manufacturers, things they don't like. So the upshot of all this, Tucker, is we want to stop these kind of masters of the universe from trying to do through economic power what they cannot achieve at the ballot box. And it's really exactly. an end run around democracy where they're trying to impose these things. And here in Florida, I want to be governed by the values of Destin, not the values of Davos. Well, that's exactly right. It's anti-democratic. I mean, so no, nobody ever votes. on. I mean, there's never been a vote on anything pertaining to, to ESG. Am I right? That's right. And what happens is, is you'll have asset managers who manage all these pension funds. You know, they will require ESG. The companies themselves will do it. I think there's a couple of reasons. I mean, I do think part of this is there, there's woke employees in these companies and the yeah. inmates have basically run the asylum. So, the, so some of the CEOs bend to that. But I do think there's some of these CEOs, Tucker, who really like to exert power over the rest of us. And that's what we're doing. It'll be a disaster for our economy, uh, of course, with, with we've seen with the energy. But to have the economy politicized this way, uh, that's a recipe for disaster. But then also it takes power away from the American people and lodges it into these international corporate titans. Now he goes on. Let's do a lightning round. Let's okay. My question. Well, I have actually I have a couple questions about DeSantis. Do you think he's legit or a plant? Let's do a lightning round on that. Yes or no, Ryan? It's it's hard to say. Um, he from where my my gut feeling is nobody is who they pretend to be. Nobody is as authentic as they pretend to be, especially when they are saying so many of the right things. But let's even say for a moment that DeSantis really is absolutely genuine, absolutely conservative, wants to preserve your freedom and everything else. Um, let, let's suppose, you know, what, what is in the end, what is he really going to be able to do with it? So much of this architecture is set up with non-governmental organizations, lobbyists, you have civil servants that are always there. They're the ones who make so many of these decisions. So ultimately he'll invade against it. If he's genuine, if he's a plant, he'll invade against it in order to set up kind of your honeypot type of thing or, or a psyop mm -hmm. of sorts, Wh whichever way that's going to go. It ultimately isn't going to accomplish anything. I, you know, when, when the credit bureaus began running credit scores, there were people who were talking against it. They got no traction. Eventually, they disappeared. And the credit, uh, the credit scores came in. No, no vote. Nobody elected that. Nobody put out a law, you know, demanded the representatives make a law that everyone has a credit score, that your bank that's going to be run by these absurd, ever-changing rules that uh, in order to have sufficient credit to 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 get a loan for anything. It's, um, you know, it's a similar type of thing with the ESG scores. Nobody's voted that in. We knew it was coming because it's more or less a social credit score. And based on your climate participation, your acceptance of alphabet values um how much meat you're eating and and all that will be tied and tracked as once they get all the elements of the technocratic control grid in so desantis could inveigh against it but what's he going to do to stop it make it illegal okay um all that information is still going to feed you know because everyone's still using credit cards uh slow moving lightning round brother martin <laughs> is he a plant right. or is he legit <laughs> so something in between in one sense, I, I, I think uh, he rose up in a re uh, rather traditional way. And so I think he's more or less, uh, what, what do they call, 
call it establishment, an establishment conservative, establishment uh, Republican. However, I think um, the whole lockdown situation in 2020 really awakened something in him to say that he had to respond differently than anybody else precisely to do the best for, for Florida because – um, of course, the lockdowns began right as right right before spring break, and spring break was is a huge economy booster for Florida. So automatically, from the very beginning, he had to make one massive important decision that he then realized was it, it kind of uh, ripped the mask off of, of what the lockdowns were, um, and so it, that kind of guided the rest of his being a governor. He saw the, the less the less, or actually, the more he rebelled against wokeism, the more he became popular. And so his his decisions began to to feed off of that, and so that's kind of what we got. We didn't get anybody who was really a plan or 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 someone who's who's legit in that sense, but someone who was feeding off of what the people were giving him, which is much of what what Trump was doing uh, too. It was just trying to give the people what they wanted. Um, what he might be in the future, it depends where his loyalties lie. It depends on what um, the, the 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 GOP want him to be if he were to to run against Trump in the primaries, all that kind of stuff. You know. Back, back, back. Uh, you know, under the table dealings, backdoor dealings, all that kind of stuff. Um, to see what he, what, what, um, how, how they can support him. I am so disappointed in this lightning round. Uh, also, the fact that our our philosopher here is is not using the principle of the excluded middle. He's either a plant or <laughs> he's not, or he's it's, somewhere it's, in between. He's halfway the, pregnant. What no, is he? Here's 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 a principle I did learn in philosophy class. Uh, was this? Um, Seldom approve, never deny, always distinguish. Oh man! Oh gosh, James, you gotta, you gotta take us Jesuitical. <laughs> James, James, yeah, I'm tempted to play a video. I gotta brother go, brother Heigl. Yeah, that's uh, that was brother Heigl Martin, guys. Oh um, man, yeah. Well, um, DeSantis is an interesting case, of course. Um, speaking as the governor of. Florida, he's sort of taken to heart a lot of issues common Americans uh, hold dear to their hearts, especially during um, 2020, as uh, Ryan was just saying, he basically uh, decided to move against the narrative of COVID, and he kept Florida open as much as he could, and uh, the liberals lost their minds. You know, whether or not that, that's controlled opposition, it's good controlled opposition. I want to be in that controlled opposition if it's that good, right? Um, and what else has he done? He's sort of pushed back against CRT in Florida schools. He's pushed back against Disney, right? And he's uh, sort of uh, forced them to to, to reassess uh, how, how they basically uh, operate in Florida under his terms, you know? Uh, so there, there are some good things going for DeSantis. You know, don't ask me what he's going to do uh, if he decides to run for presidency. If he goes to, uh, you know, Israel and kisses that that wall, or he already did is. that. He's yeah, well, already been yeah. there, done that. Yeah, he wore but, the yarmulke. <laughs> yeah, I know, but you know, it's we're good conservatives, right? We're supposed to have like a memory hole where that thing goes into. We forget <laughs> it actually happened. You know, oh, so man. yeah, so we'll see what happens. You know, there's a lot of hope for for his uh, work there in Florida, and uh, you know, honestly, I I'd be I'd, I'd be a lot happier if he stayed where he where he he is in, currently in Florida rather than seeking uh, national office. Yeah, uh, agreed with all of you. I I I, I don't distinguish though. Um, okay. Uh, we, 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 we did it. We did a grave error. We, we committed a sin here on the rundown. 
we were speaking about uh, our NATO allies uh, and their involvement in Ukraine, but we failed to show you the, the types of meetings that NATO, the very serious meetings that NATO are now having uh, in, in, their, in the engagement in, in Ukraine right now. My favorite part about that is the the interpreter the, the, the for the hearing impaired. How do you translate psychopath, uh, probably possessed demon into uh, into sign language? Right, she was doing an okay job. <laughs> <laughs> what's, the, what, what's the line from St. Anthony, the, the great Anthony of the Desert, uh, where he says that um, one day everyone will go mad and they'll see you who is not mad and they say, look, he's not mad like we are. Let's kill him. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what else to say. I mean, although yeah, that sums it up a little more reverent than uh, papal liturgy. So I'll give it that much. <laughs> I did think, brother, it was interpretive dance. It was Novus Ordo dance. Well, it it will actually it was probably more <laughs> you're probably, right, it's probably more reverent, but I, it takes me back to that video that we have um, of Cardinal Wolke's liturgy in in, uh, in Germany with that redheaded lady just going, oh, oh, no. oh. you know, it's oh, like no. it's the exact same thing. The exact I, same I have thing. a toddler who still makes that noise on occasion. I don't know why. <laughs> but I mean, going back to the, how we be, began the show, it's just the desire of objective reality, and that's the the, the new art form is to de- deny anything objective. So. You have all these random body positions, random movements in painting art. You have all these random lines that is leaves everything to the viewer in their own personal interpretation, their own subjective interpretation. So that's in one sense, that's the explanation of the art and why it's becoming so ridiculous is, is only to push things more and more subjective. We're going to in our final segment tonight, after the quick, shameless commercial break, we're going to zero in on the war on reality. It is going to include groomers. Viewer discretion will be advised. Why did Mother Miriam say this about public school? Now, if you send your children to public school, you're not loving them. You may feel the emotion of love, but you are destroying them. What I'm about to show you is a series of groomer videos. Many of these people are teachers. I'm going to take the four of us off the screen because, frankly, I don't want to share visual real estate in the frame with these people. We're going to run back to back. I'm going to show you six or seven of these videos, and then we're going to break down the war on reality that is happening, not only in these United States, but across the Western 
world. We get a lot of questions about our headmate who happens to be a duck. Um, and what I need you guys to understand is that we have interacted with this guy twice. The first time was in our one and only headspace meeting and he was just waddling around and stepping on everybody's feet. And the second time was when he fronted for like three seconds and he looked at our arm and he thought, in a 40 year old man's voice, like the voice of a 40 year old man from Boston, he thought, where the fuck are my feathers? And that is all any of us have ever heard from him. I was watching the news this morning and they were talking about how if you as a teacher have a student come to you and tell you that they are gay, part of the LGBTQ community, whether they are looking into transitioning, anything like that, but they don't want their parents to know yet. Um, the question on the news was, as a teacher, is it your responsibility um, or as a school, is it your responsibility to inform the parents of what their child is going through. Um, on the news, they all said yes. It is the schools, the teachers, the counselors, um, due diligence to let these parents know what the kids are going through. As a teacher, I disagree. I'm a doctor and apparently the state of Texas needs to reconsider what it considers child abuse. Because you know what's abusive? Ignoring the needs of your child when your child is telling you what they need. And engaging in behavior as a parent that could lead them to unalive themselves. Over 80% of trans youth have admitted to having thoughts about unaliving themselves and over 50% have actually attempted it. And these individuals denying them care that we know is life-saving is child abuse. And it is proven that providing them gender-affirming care strongly reduces those risks. Don't worry, I got plenty of receipts for these comments. You can check my link tree. I will die on this hill. Trans rights are human rights. And it- So I know I don't post on here like ever, but I need help because I have no fucking idea what to do with this. One of my alters, Sunny, um, our, our inner world is surrounded by a forest. And occasionally new alters will come out from that forest. Like our demon altar, Shuhiel, emerged from that forest. So generally our consensus is don't go into the forest but sunny's pretty new he formed at christmas um or technically shortly thereafter but whatever and no one told him i guess not to go into the forest so he just kind of disappeared for a few days maybe even a few weeks i don't know i wasn't really keeping tabs and he reappeared the other day with a dog i don't think the dog is an altar But he has a dog now. Like, is this a thing that can happen or am I actually, am I, I... Say hello and I don't reply to my own friends You got yours, you don't know me Anymore, I'm on the way Look at the ground, I won't wait I'm not coming down from this Got a new vibe from this Got a new vibe from this Okay, so it took a couple of days for me to make this TikTok Um without crying because that's what i do um please ignore the dog bone crunching behind me anyhow um 
one of my students uh, felt safe enough to share his pronouns with me. And when he did so, once the class knew that I knew, they all switched pronouns. They're second graders. Like I'm torn between being really, really happy to be a safe space and just absolutely furious that an entire group of second graders has to keep this secret from not safe people. Why are kids feeling unsafe? And furthermore, why does everyone talk about how, how are the kids gonna understand? The kids fucking understand it. So this is how we chose our beautiful egg donor. Um, so we wanted her to have lovely big eyes. I wanted her to have really thick hair because I've had two hair transplants. <laughs> I wanted her to have a really wide, nice smile and just look like a kind person. Yeah, and we wanted her to be creative because we love the arts. Yeah. So how it works is you join up with the egg donor agency and you literally go through thousands, that's what Stuart did. That's what I did. I went through thousands, thousands, thousands. I shortlisted them, sent them to Francis and yeah. let him decide. And then we had, I had three or four in front of me and then we had a a few Zoom calls with the ones that we liked, and then the yeah. first egg donor let us down. Fuming, so second bad. egg donor let us down. Oh, yeah. Fuming. Fuming, and then by the third, we literally found her, and I was like, oh, she's incredible. And when we got on the Zoom call, we were like, oh, be calm, God, play it so down, beautiful. don't be too keen. Um, and and luckily, she said yes, and this is the result. Yeah, he's looking. <laughs> Okay, I'm going to bring the panel back in. There's a lot to unpack there. There's uh, mental disorders. There's obvious uh, demonic activity happening with people. There's um, there's there's all kinds of stuff. These are disturbed human beings. There's there's no uh, maybe there's another way to say it. That's the only way I can think to say it. Let's do a round where we just kind of do stream of consciousness, initial thoughts to the alphabet soup, the absolute um, uh, horror on display, predominantly by teachers. We'll start. Actually, we'll start with uh, James this time. Yeah. Um, Mother Miriam is absolutely right. You know, this all this is happening in public schools. And um, I don't really know when that timeline began uh but certainly we know that there's been an infiltration into the educational system and of course you know once uh that became a department um you know under reagan sadly enough uh this has become something even uh worse um so we're seeing all this now come to a head this is where we are in society and uh these teachers are not ashamed to go out there and say what it is that they're going through uh, or what they're experiencing, or what they think they're experiencing in their classrooms. Of course, I, I don't. I, I take what they say with a grain of salt, in the sense that uh, you know, this one teacher was talking about how uh, maybe eighty percent to one hundred percent. I forget how many uh, kids she said in her class were changing their pronouns. Yeah, I take that with a grain of salt. I, I don't. I don't buy that. She's probably made that up. She's probably trying to force uh, the issue where it does not exist. Uh, but of course, the point is uh, that person is teaching in a public school and has access to children. And this is exactly what um, they they want. They want to be able to be in a position 
where they are uh, basically ruining children, ruining their imagination and implanting ideas that are demonic into uh, the minds of these children. And it's taking taken effect. Of course, I do I do know of stories of uh, uh, people who end up in situations where, well, a broken home, for instance, and you have a child being told, maybe groomed by a teacher and telling them, well, maybe you feel more this way, that way, whatever. And, uh, you know, they're, they're led to believe uh, they feel, they feel uh, one way or the other, you know, that this is the direction they should head. But, you know, a kid is six or seven or eight, you know, nine, 10, even 13, 14, 15, doesn't understand exactly, you know, who they are. And, and, and you know, they're still developing. And kids tend to wake up out of this nightmare at an older age and realize, oh, my goodness, when I was a little kid, I didn't have the wherewithal to make the these choices. Why was I allowed to do so? And then, heartbreak, you have a mass murderer shooting up schools. So, yes. uh, yeah, that's kind of my, my takeaway from all of this. Brother Martin, the assaults on reality, it's been going for hundreds of years. Is this the final battle? I sure hope so, but not because uh, they win, but because we finally win. You know, we, we, you know, finito, basta, basta così. It's enough. Reality wins. <laughs> well, we know Christ wins in the end, so that's what we all hope for. That's all we. It's a, it's a matter of, uh, you know, what's our place in a battle? What's our position? What's our, you know, where, where's our Lord call, calling us to fight? Um, whether these are the end times is another question, maybe for another, uh, for another format or another form or whatever. Um, but the fight for reality, I mean, it's. To be honest, I, we're constantly, everybody on social media is always pointing out hypocrisies. And to be honest, I'm kind of fed up with it only because what, what we stated earlier in the in the program is they don't care that they're hypocrites. They don't care. Um, so I think right now we're in a time where we, we, if we feel like we're losing, if we feel like this is the, because, because we feel like we're losing, we might feel like it's the final one. I think it's really because our strategy, we need to buckle down and get to living our own lives in the sense of, of this counter-revolution as opposed to constantly pointing out their hypocrisies, because sure, it might wake up a, a person or two to, to the reality, um, but, but the, main, the main battle is going to be in changing the way we live our lives, the, the convenient things that we're going to give up in order to, to um, establish, to, to begin this counter-revolution. That's where we're, we're going to start winning battles, is, is, is in the counter-revolution, is the changing the way we live our lives, and not necessarily in pointing out hypocrisies on social media. Mm -hmm. Let me take uh, let me take a different approach to you. Let me directly contradict Brother Martin for the first time on the rundown. Spicy. I think that actually there is a time and a place to point it out, and some people do it really well. I'll give you a quick example. A guy like Sean Hannity, he's a conservative. He makes a living of pointing out people's, the left's hypocrisy. He's done it for 20 years. He's very good at it. He's never gone deeper. He's never actually become Catholic. In fact, I think he's apostatized. Uh, but he serves a purpose and is a gateway drug because he takes people out of soft Democrat Party into Republican Party, which is a step towards traditionalism. Now, all four of us are beyond the two-party dialectic, of course. But... Could you make an argument, brother? And I'll throw it back to you so you can you can stomp me into the ground. But um, couldn't you make an argument Please that do. some people 
if they're good at finding and seeing the hypocrisy should continue to point it out. And if they can do it and not get tired of it, then keep going because you will, you will plant a seed with people that will eventually grow. I know people who were Democrats in college and listened to Sean Hattie, became Republicans, became conservatives, eventually became traditional Catholics, uh, went down that road. Not everybody will. You're exactly right. And uh, it is tiring. It's tiresome, but it's tiresome for guys like us who have seen the hypocrisy for years, decades. Uh, yeah, I'm tired of it. Um, but that's part of the reason why we do the rundown anyway. So um, tell me where I'm wrong. <laughs> Not to pull out a, what I just said earlier, seldom uh, approved, never did not always distinguish. But anyway, there's some people like Sean Hannity who are critically intelligent and at doing what they do. There definitely needs to be some pointing out of hypocrisies. Um, I mean, I, I think I've pulled out a few hypocrisies just these during the papal visit of the, the of the Pope Francis, uh, you know, kind of praising um, the indigenous of Canada for their traditions, all that kind of stuff, while at the same time stomping on us traditionalists for ours. Um, so there, there, there is a place for, for some pointing out of hypocrisies, but in, in terms of the movement, rather than just mere individuals, so not focusing on, on, our, on any person's particular talents or any person's particular mission um, in this battle, but as a, as a movement, if it feels like the movement is losing battles, it's precisely because we're not establishing the counter-revolution and, and living something contrary to uh, the anti-reality that the, the left is proposing us to live. Yeah. Um, there, there needs to be an actual conversion of life that we're all going through, even those that point out hypocrisies. Uh, if they, you know, it, to, to be able, honestly, to be able to survive all of the pointing out of hypocrisies, you have to be ground, grounded in actually something real. There has to be something else that you're, do, you're living that says there's, there's something more than just pointing out hypocrisies. Because if you really think you're going to change the world by pointing out the hypocrisies, it, it's going to be very minuscule. It's going to be person by person. Um, and in the grand scheme of things, it's, it's going to seem very small. So you have to think of, you know, you have to think of playing the long game ultimately and, and think that you're just playing one particular part in, in, in the overall scheme of things. Ryan. To the uh, conservative stuff or the, the, the melange just overall to the, yeah. to the psychopaths. Yeah. There is the, there is one term that was used in there that I don't think a lot of people have picked up on when uh, the one lady was talking about alters and that's uh, A-L-T-E-R, by the way, and wondering whether someone's alter was a dog or something like that. Now, alters refers specifically to DID, disassociative, uh, I can't remember what the whole acronym stands for, disassociative disorder. If I was an actual shrink, I'd know that. But it's a really debilitating mental disorder where you it's what they used to call alternate what what colloquially is called alternate personality and you know people have alters that that's how you refer to the other uh the other person that seems to be as far as the where, where they're sitting in a secular viewpoint who is inhabiting their body and uh doing things and doesn't see you know and the psychological struggles people with that work through it, it it's a very complicated thing it's extremely hard to treat and now that that is starting to mix with so much of the transgender stuff mm-hmm. is my is my, my multiple my, my alter is is a man but i'm a woman and but maybe that's because you know in my interior body is is a, is a man when really i'm a woman and 
or you know my body's a male and interiorly i'm a woman and exteriorly um uh, um whatever it, it's like it's going into it's spiraling out of control into really crazy things and pe- there was in uh, during operation monarch and i'm sure a good number of our listeners know about that which has been declassified so we're in conspiracy fact rather than conspiracy theory one of the things that they'd worked on um apart from trying to turn you know create mass shooters will work when they when you know when they hear catcher in the rye and stuff like that um one of the things they worked on is to creating disassociative disorder in people multiple personalities essentially how to create that and of course the re- reason they wanted to create that in my the way i surmise is the elites wanted to to create this for their sex cults and get women that they've groomed through whatever there were or boys god forbid all of it god forbid but you know and groomed in their sex will create a, a personality that will serve them in those ways and that seems to be like there is a psychological understanding of how to actually manipulate disassociate that person from who they actually are and to create the beginnings of another personality forming um some priests that i know think that really the whole thing the entire area is purely demonic and the demons are you know, it's either possession or extreme obsession i i'm not in a position to evaluate that on either side as a, in psychologically or as an exorcist i'm just not but uh whichever way that actually works there is a method in a lot of the grooming tactics especially in in childhood are replicating stuff that they were doing in Operation Monarch. And that's one of the scariest things I'm looking at to me as I see a lot of this stuff come together. Um, and, and I wasn't even thinking of, I haven't thought about this type of thing for a long time until I heard that girl say alters. And and I remembered some of the stuff I was reading about this years ago when the transgender thing first began to explode, right? And so, and now as it goes, like we saw last week, the woman who thinks she's a cat and she tries to modulate her meows to, mm-hmm. I mean, it, which I laughed at hysterically, but, uh, you know, but it's terrible because this is a person who has a mental disorder, who is suffering. And I don't want to laugh at her suffering, even though it is it is hysterical. No, but I mean, but she did but, say she has a specific meow for "I need to be wiped." Right. <laughs> I mean, come on. Yeah, which is you know, but then you know, people who think that their alter is uh, an animal, and then you see people in public that are acting like animals, you almost wonder: is this not the the case that they're actually, um, you know, this is kind of an effect of the grooming through school? You know, and when you look at all these teachers freaking out when people call them on the carpet for these things, um, you can you can tell the at the very least on that level, the demonic level of the maniacal desire to ruin people's kids is what they and they they understand it that way. That's what they want to do. Yeah, uh, to me, the, uh, the most disturbing video of, of any of them that we saw were the the two global homos who were shopping for their surrogate mother, um, trying to groom their uh, their child that they're going to steal, seize from uh, the woman uh, into having luscious hair and big eyes and certain facial structures. Uh, the, the, the eugenicism has, has uh, reached a, a pinnacle point. Genocide of uh, unborn humans continues, even in this country, even with Roe being overturned. The majority of the population lives in states that are still butchering babies. Um, so the truth of the matter is, is that now we're just going to go shopping for our perfect trophy child and uh, design our bespoke uh, life together 
uh, an artisanal uh, lived experience where we design not only um, our careers, ourselves, our own bodies, our own identities, uh, our own hair plugs, as the guy admitted to, or twice, he said. Uh, But now we start designing human beings um, that we want to claim uh, for their for our, our, our own offspring. I think that's I think that's uh, extremely disturbing. All of it's disturbing. Let's do one more around the horn, then we'll continue and land the plane on the show with our unpopular opinions and our grifting segment. But the around the horn, brother, you already alluded to it. I think you get a gold star for already kicking it off in terms of practical things we can do to combat this stuff. Is there anything we can do? What can we be doing? How can we live in the real? I'm going to go to James first. How can we become counter-revolutionaries? How can we, I mean, shoot, maybe the low bar is how can we just protect our children from this, right? Um, James, thoughts? You know, uh, we're living in a truly uh, weird time, if I can even put it that way. Uh, It's not a time that you and I grew up uh, in. It's a different time. And so we're, we're having to find uh, ourselves, you know, wondering our parents didn't have to deal with this, you know, uh, and this is not even 40 years ago. Uh, but here we are in this time and we're having to sort of pull from our memory those things that we did uh, in, in our time to sort of, you know, feel alive and to live and to live within the confines of what that reality is supposed to be, not within the confines of a made-up reality. And so uh, you just have to be countercultural. That's exactly what it is. It, it, the sooner you lean into it, the the better. You know, why do you have cell phones for your children at, you know, maybe you have a 13-year-old child or 12-year-old, 14, 15, even 16. Why do you, you have a cell phone that connects to the internet? If your child must have a phone. Must your child have a phone that connects to the internet? Must your child be into the latest fads that are out there, you know, of course, this is a no brainer. Your kids are mixing with uh, secular kids going to public school. You know, what's, what sort of things are they bringing back home with them? Why are they going to these public schools? You know, um, if, if you're not protecting your child, even going to mass, for instance, is is a time where you want to protect your child. Why are you going to a no Soto mass where you're going to have within your sights a woman who has pink hair and short shorts, you know? So you have to really sort of think about how you, the environment that you're in persuades the thought of your offspring and everyone else around you. Of course, when you go to a grocery store, you're going to see these anomalies. But these anomalies are going to be out in the grocery store where it's not a sacred space. You know, it's not in your home. It's not in your church. So those are the two avenues. First of all, you have to provide that security for your child at home and a place of worship. You know, if you secure those two ends it'll be easier to navigate those uh, strange middle places, grocery store, a library, things like that. Because your child is always going to know there's a safe space at church and there's a safe space at home. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a great point, uh, Brother Martin. Conversion of life. Um, I feel in particular, I mean, this, this is kind of getting into an unpopular opinion. Maybe, but it won't be my unpopular opinion tonight. Um, but I feel like uh, in, particular, in particular that <laughs> I, I like to use the analogy of bowling. For instance, like when I take uh, my nephew's bowling, they're you know one and two years old. They have the pushing thing for, down for the ball, but they also use bumpers. 
and the bumpers ensure that eventually they're, they're going to hit the pins. They're going to hit something um, down at the end of the bowling alley. And so I guess that's fine. I mean, if you're playing bowling and your only goal is to hit some pins down, sure, put up the bumpers and you'll hit something. But that's not really the, what, the, what the essence of bowling is about. Um, there's a, a proper technique for you to roll the ball down um, the aisle to hit the pins in such a way that you knock all 10 down in just one roll. Uh, now, just having the bumpers up for me is 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 an is an analogy of of just thinking of uh, moral theology of morality. What do I need to avoid just to not sin? Um, but the proper technique on on actually bowling prop properly to actually fulfill the purpose of bowling it has to do with ascetical and mystical theology on how to live our lives correctly. If you just want to avoid sin simply to avoid sin, this could actually even come from a prideful motive. Of, of wanting to be the best amongst your Catholic peers. Oh, look, I don't commit that sin. I don't commit that sin. And so pride, as St. Augustine said, destroys absolutely everything. Um, but asceticism um, and, and thinking of the three ways, the uh, uh, purgative way, illuminative way, and unitive way, this is what we're actually supposed to become as per- persons, as human beings. This is the way we're actually supposed to live and become and, and ultimately see what we will be when we um, see our Lord face to face in the beatific vision. Um, so what can we do? Um, we could always grow in, in our spiritual lives because unless we're becoming saints, not, and not just not, you know, not sinning, but becoming saints, you know, bowling with a proper technique, we're not going to be as effective even, to, even to our children or, or in the apostolate in our, in our workplaces. Um, and so I think one thing that we, we can always do is, is, is grow spiritually, move, move beyond, um, just the 10 commandments, so to speak, and, and really, um, ask ourselves what 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 how should I be living what more must I must I give up in order to even not just rid myself of the sins I'm committing but rid myself of the, of the imperfections that I have uh, what more can I can I do um, to become a saint because I mean there's it's, it's all or nothing no pain no gain um, and so yeah I think that's that's one of the things I, I, I think that we could all work on a little bit more is is not just though what can I keep and become and still become a saint in spite of but rather uh what, what, what more can I do to, to iron out something in me um, so that I could become a saint? Ryan, how do we crawl out of this? I think one of the most important things actually is to be joyful. And the saints were joyful. This, uh, sometimes people like to imagine the saints that a uh, smile would crack their face, a very, very formal in every possible way that ever could. And um, it becomes very much the caricature that, that, uh, Pope Francis often gives of trads, you know, being always, you know, stern and rigid and all these things. And there, there's a joy in life and there's a joy in living life. And, and sometimes it's not always apparent because of various levels of suffering we have to go through. And of course, watching this program, uh, <laughs> you start to wonder, man, the world is all good. But even in spite of that, um, you know, you still need to be joyful and take in and have gratitude to God for the great things you have in your life. I have my children, wife, uh, my amazing family, and I have so many other things, the generosity and the charity that so many people have shown me. There's so many reasons to have gratitude. It's not a time to complain when I have this thing happen that that was really a big setback. You know, it doesn't mean you can't have a legitimate complaint about a legitimate thing in the right way. But again, there has to be a joy in the spiritual life. There has to be, you know, we can't go uh, just kind of moping around about it. And not everyone does, but some people do. And I think also, um, you know, another problem is too much focusing on the negative and surrounding about negative things. It's um, 
you know, if you have a, you know, what, what are people interested in? You do a book on a, a saint and spiritual life. If I wrote a book on Vatican II, you know, I, I would have, uh, you know, everybody be buying it. Find, oh, what's he going to say about that conspiracies lurking behind Vatican II in the mud, right? Mm-hmm. If, I was, if I was writing a book of this sort mm-hmm. or expose on the not Fontes on the resource Mont folks that were at the center of a lot of it. Um, if I was going to write about their lives and their doctrines, <laughs> everyone to buy that book. How about here's how to be holy. And, uh, and you know, get some response. People have bought it, but it's not a big seller. I mean, even amongst trads, most trads are doing what? And I'm not even griping for business thing in general. What are most trads likely going to have? you know, on their shelves. How many books about being saintly and getting to heaven? And I've known a good number that even if they have the books, what they really read is the salacious stuff in the blogs and this, and there's, you know, a plethora of really great spiritual books being produced by a lot of Catholic publishers, not even just me. Right. And so everything that we look at when we approach the faith is to the joy that we should have before the Lord, because he has redeemed us in his blood and given us his victory. And all we have to do is share in it through, you know, through perseverance, through the, living the lives of the virtues, uh, act of faith. We, we have to actually embrace the cross, too, and all the and do it joyfully. And that's a hard thing, for, I think, for people. See, it's easy to get bogged down in all this stuff and to get depressed, especially when really bad things happen to you. Like we've had we have listeners that have had lost their, lost their jobs because they took a principled stand and wouldn't get a pokey and they lost their jobs i had subscribers that lost that lost their jobs and they had to cancel you know and and i get it and a lot of these people you know they they had to try as best they could but you still need to find joy when all these bad things happen and or really hellish and aggravating things happen what have you i mean just go through the the line and what do you read in lives of the saints you read that they're joyful philip neary when saint pius v it sets the Inquisition on Philip Neri, and he's in a position where he, you know, they they could shut him down, and and he's joyful about it, and you know, and he, he's not in the slightest bit disturbed, and then it all comes out fine, and he, and he was perfectly fine, um, you know, and in, in so many different ways, that's what we have to do. We can't be dour faced, sour faced, you know, people, and there are people like that, and we know them, and we need to try to improve their you know, their, their lives, or if we have to separate ourselves from the negativity, we can't be caught up in that. You can get your fix of the negativity with the rundown. And I encourage you to subscribe to the rundowns own YouTube channel, because uh, while the fact of the matter is we're keeping big tech on their toes, they can't take down the main RTF channel. uh, If we're just on a little channel called, called the rundown. Um, the only thing I want to add, gentlemen, is um, I want to take a little bit of what all of you said and appropriate it to my own opinion, which can be said as follows. Fountain pens and teacups with saucers can help turn this around. What do I mean by that? I mean that doing the little things correctly with grace, with beauty, and with decorum is one of the best ways to fight the ugliness that is out there. When a woman attracts the attention of a man, she turns his head before or long before she ever turns his heart. That's the power of beauty. And all of you said that we need to live our lives 
either joyfully or, or beautifully or in ways that are counter to the ugliness of the world, which is prevailing and pervasive. Um, so uh, people can make fun of the so-called trad aesthetic you know, people make fun of that all the time. They're like, oh, yeah, you guys just are LARPers. You like to wear suits and bow ties and smoke cigars. No, actually, it's it's not a LARP. It's a life. It's how we live. It's how we reclaim masculinity. It's how we reclaim and establish gender roles in our lives, in our family, in our culture. And uh, one of the very specific concrete things that my wife and I have learned, for example, about avoiding uh, these these negative things is with the topic of divorce. Uh, we simply do not discuss it ever. It doesn't come up. We do not tell the children the bad. We only present them with the imagery of the good. So if someone's divorced, they're not allowed in my house. If someone's in a disordered marriage or disordered lifestyle, they're not allowed in my house. It doesn't matter if they're related to me. It doesn't matter if they're my blood relatives or my parents. If you choose to live outside of the sixth precept of the church, you're not allowed in my house because I cannot afford for my children to see you as, uh, as an example at all. And in that way, and in cutting it off and, and in excluding the, the bad imagery from their imaginations and only reinforcing the positive image in their imaginations, I never have to say anything about it at all. They spend the, the great majority of their formation and uh, when their imagination is, is formed and the imagery is implanted into their memory, uh, which they use um, to compare uh, what they're seeing in reality from and make a judgment about and eventually in their intellect and, and, then, uh, and then in their will, when they see the good, um, they know that it's good. When they see something that is counter to it, they don't need me to tell them that it's wrong because they've been trained their whole lives to know that it's wrong. So that's just one specific example in terms of how you handle um, how you handle one particular topic. Now, imagine if you did that in, uh, in, in all aspects of life. Imagine if our children only saw beautiful things, only read good books, um, only partook in, in good, wholesome, healthy activities, only had positive influences around them and good traditional Catholic friends, and they only ever saw the traditional Latin mass, and they only ever were homeschooled or went to an SSPX school or, or some, somewhere safe. Or, and they, you know, it, when you start to peel it back and, and, you, and you make this their experience, that's how you equip them. You know, we're often uh, accused of sheltering our children. And if they're homeschooled, especially, they're going to be pale and awkward. They won't be able to, to interact with people. I don't want them interacting with bad people right now. That's not what I want because I don't want to normalize bad people as people that you normally interact with. Will they be prepared to do it later on in life? Yeah, absolutely. They'll just know what right looks like. So I, I all of you said something to the effect of, not focusing on the negative, not uh, obsessing over the problems in the world. And I agree with all that. I think that's good. People who are watching the rundown, you watch the rundown for awareness of what's happening out in the world. And, and, and we're pretty good at highlighting that so that you can know what the dangers are and to reinforce and reaffirm the people who are taking the heroic steps, especially in raising families in this environment, uh, uh, the heroic steps to shield and protect yourself from the ugliness that is out there. I don't think wives and women should be watching this program necessarily. I don't think mothers should spend their time watching this program. I think this program is, is, is primarily designed to inform fathers of the true dangers that are out there in the world so that they know exactly how bad it is 
which which gives them the confidence to say, here's how we're going to live our lives. And here's how I'm going to protect my family from these ugly things. that unfortunately, I as a man have to know about and be exposed to. So um, that's just my two cents on it. Guys, we have we have so many important things to do today. We have to get to our unpopular opinions, but I'm going to hold off on the unpops and 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 take us out of order because the number one most important thing that we do here on this shameless profiteering program is and you're coming to me first um i have been i think in this building twice this week um and i've mostly been moving around uh driving in all directions large vehicles of various sorts so I just wanted one, I wanted to really take the, the opportunity to, to, to thank and give my gratitude to everyone who has taken, uh, what was it first, Mike's uh, <laughs> um, extemporaneous admonition to everyone to, uh, to donate. And, um, and mine as well that I'm open to receiving such things. And I, it really is a true act of charity that I, I, I'm just overwhelmed with. Um, people have parted from hard-earned money. Some, you know, in some cases, some people gave a very large donation, which I'm extremely appreciative of. I'm just too out of sorts at the moment to send a proper thank you note. So, so since everyone here, everyone who sent me something referenced that they they saw uh, on the on the program, I want to thank you here, and I I will be sending a proper thank you note when I get settled. And so we've just had a hectic. The house is actually empty now. Thanks be to God. And I just got a few things to clean up around there before I turn in the keys and then move into the next adventure and uh, muddle through uh, the other paperwork to get uh, to get our house set up where we're where we're going. And so at the moment we're going to have a fun little camping adventure for the rest of the summer. And uh, and I will be back in here managing things, hopefully getting the, getting uh, caught up. So that's why I haven't had new productions of books. I've added new things because I have to um, constantly you know, run around with a, the U-Haul of this or, you know, what have you. So the, um, so there's that. So anyway, so thank you everyone who has, it's been immensely helpful. One filling up gas and things like a U-Haul. My truck uh, is not entirely gas efficient, <laughs> honestly. Um, you know, a couple other things that had to be filled up. So it's, uh, so that was a huge help there in other places too so i'm just trying to work through a lot of other things but we're going to get more books coming out soon um i i'm just going to pick a random book here since brother martin was talking about it and i was talking about it i do have mystical theology layman's guide and i am going to get volume two volume two is like there's one more section that's got to be edited and i can hopefully get back to that next week and get volume two out which i know people have been waiting for there put that back so uh so again i just again my gratitude to everyone it's 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 really overwhelming uh so many acts of charity from people it, i mean to, to part with your hard-earned money and give it to a fool like me <laughs> just so i can move that set uh and i i don't know if that's uh good karma no i don't believe in karma but for always leaving tips and <laughs> you know helping helping uh go fund me causes that i knew people needed and whatnot um or so on and so forth and it just you're just god's just just generous providence in all of it so um yeah that's that's really all i've got so some of you you can see 
sorry, I hear an echo. Um, as some of you can see, I'm, I have different backgrounds and stuff. I've been traveling the last two weeks. I've met with a, a few vocation candidates um, for our monastery, um, traveling to meet them. Of course, you know, there's a predicament with online uh, aggressors or whatever, trying to keep people away from uh, approaching the Oblates of St. Augustine and all that kind of stuff. But we've been combating that, that um, in different ways. But um, I'm really excited to share with the, with all of you guys um, that in the next few months, you'll be he hearing um, news from the Oblates of St. Augustine about um, the current changes to or um, the consequences of Tradiciones Custodes in several dioceses in the in the in the country and how particularly the Oblates of St. Augustine exists to combat all of this. Um, I was having a conversation um, with a friend of mine. Uh, who was like, Brother Martin, what, sh what should I do? It's like, a, we go to a diocesan Latin mass here in the diocese. Um, there's no fraternity or institute of Christ the King in our diocese. Um, I want my my family to, um, to have Latin mass. But as you know, um, their future as communities are precarious. And the diocesan Latin masses are getting chopped off anywhere. So where could I possibly go um, to ensure that my, my family has a traditional Latin mass? And so I think the time has arrived where everybody has to face the reality um, that the church does not offer you any stability whatsoever in informing your, your kids in the traditional Catholic faith, um, unless you, you move to a particular uh, location where there's a community um, that will do precisely that, offer the traditional Latin Mass, in spite of Rome, what Rome says, in spite of what the local uh, local bishop says. And so this is one of the reasons why the Obits of St. Augustine exists, to ensure that, one, the traditional Latin Mass will always um, continue to be offered, um, that new um, religious will continue to be formed in the traditional religious life um, and that a new religious community, a particular religious community exists because, as you know, the, the SSPX is not religious um, in essence. They're, they're a priestly fraternity, same as the uh, Institute of Christ the King and, and the Fraternity of St. Peter. So um, the Old of St. Augustine is unique in that sense that we're not a priestly fraternity, we're, we're a religious community. Um, so that's that's why we exist. And so as, as you keep continue to hear news of dioceses um, cutting the Latin masses from either 50 to four or 21 to eight. Um, just know that wherever the Obelix of St. Augustine exists, uh, we'll continue to offer the stability of the traditional Latin mass for you, your family, your grandchildren, um, and for ages to come. Hello, everyone. Um, I'd like to bring to you this book this week. This is called How to Resist Temptation. This is a book written by Father Remler. Uh, I believe the first edition of this book was 1939. I could be wrong. Um, in any case, it's now being republished by Sophia Press. Uh, they made very, very minor changes, um, inconsequential, in my opinion. In any case, um, this book is about temptation. And I, I read this book while I was on retreat. I had seen it before um, and hadn't really paid much attention to it. But I decided to delve into it while I was in a state of mind that would help me to sort of uh, really sort of appreciate what the book had to offer. And uh, it did not disappoint. So this book basically talks about how uh, temptations come and what kinds of temptations there are out there and how to be ready to do battle when you are assailed with temptation. Uh, the author also talks about uh, certain misunderstandings and misconstructions we have with how we understand temptation from our own perspective. And sometimes that's very flawed, and that could lead to sort of a scrupulous uh, behavior, which hampers our spiritual growth uh, and basically uh, even narrows down what is willful and unwillful temptation 
and uh, gives you that sort of, uh, you know, what I would say that nuance, which helps guide you to making very good decisions all around. Um, and uh, I would basically recommend this book. It's a short read. I, I believe it's 149 pages or uh, well, 146 pages. Very short read uh, and very, very uh, good for anybody out there who's aspiring to uh, to sort of understand how how they work and how uh, they can move past certain uh, triggers in their habits. Uh, and uh, I would recommend this for everybody. It's called How to Resist Temptation, and it's by Father uh, Francis J. Remler. Excellent. Okay. Um, where's my button here? <laughs> I want to grift a book this week. I haven't grifted a book in a long time. This is, um, here it is. Can you see it? It's called Climbing Parnassus. It's a new apologia for Greek and Latin. Uh, I think Ryan will really like this. I want to read you uh, the first sentence. By the way, the foreword to this book was written by none other than William F. Buckley Jr., may have heard of him. He was a, uh, I don't know, a minor known character in history. I never touched a trained mind yet, which had not been disciplined by grammar and mathematics, grammar, both Greek and Latin, nor have I ever discovered mental elegance, except in those familiar with Greek and Latin classics. This was written in 1917, this quote, by William Mulligan Sloan, professor of history at Columbia. It used to be that high school students in these United States were familiar in Greek and Latin. It's not that hard. It's not the hardest thing in the world. It is almost the definition of a classical education, in fact, or at least a prerequisite to it. Many of you who are watching are young families or are homeschoolers. Many of you are grandparents who are uh, making sure that your grandchildren are, are growing up in the traditional faith. One of the most essential elements, in my opinion, of uh, combating this madness that we've been talking about today is being grounded in the classics, being grounded in history, being grounded in your identity. Uh, identity is going to be my unpopular opinion, by the way. Um, but how do you do that? How can you read? How can you not? Uh, uh, how can you live a life in which you don't absorb? The, the Western canon is what uh, the great books, you know, John Sr. Uh, put together a list of the great books uh, that are in English, but some of them, many of them can be read in Latin and Greek. And look, I'm not a smart guy. I went to a state school in Texas and I don't speak Latin or Greek. I, I'm okay at Latin, not as good as Ryan, not nearly as good as Ryan. And I know nothing about Greek, but that doesn't mean that my children can't learn it. And that doesn't mean that I can't attempt to teach it to them. So this book will at least give you the reasoning behind wanting to give your children the tools to have an elegant mind and a well-trained mind. Because honestly, you could be simplistic and say, if you just know grammar and logic, you'll escape all of this madness, this grooming madness of the world. I mean, what are these people attacking right now? They're attacking grammar. <laughs> so why don't we just, Reclaim grammar. All right, uh, let's get to the unpopular opinions. Ryan, you are always up with the unpop. Up first. Muted. 
How are you? Oh, okay, so I'm not sure how that happened, but anyway, if I could do one thing slightly uh, unorthodox, I know I forgot a grift that, uh, so again, being so overwhelmed. Okay, so as I mentioned, and I mentioned on Twitter, I will be in the Dallas area. Is is this showing up? Oh, um, yeah. And so I think this is accurate. Uh, I haven't we haven't put this out yet. As we're waiting for some decisions. Like for example, if it's going to be charged or not, I, 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 that final decision hasn't been made. But um, anyway, so I'm going to give a, a talk at uh, Mater Day Catholic Church in Irving, Texas, in the Dallas Fort Worth area on the English Reformation, the lives of Saints John Fisher and Thomas More. So that will be Friday, August nineteenth. After the 5.30 p.m. Mass, I'll be uh, speaking at 7 p.m. that night on St. John Fisher. And I'm going to be devoting uh, most of that, that whole night just to St. John Fisher, just because he doesn't get nearly the attention that Thomas More gets, but his role, especially in the question of uh, uh, the, the validity of Henry and, and Catherine's marriage, is, is he's far more active in that than More is. Um, and somehow he's just completely forgotten about. And, and part of that, as I'll mention there, is that um, our history is Anglophone history. Who wrote Anglophone history? Well, the victors, the Protestants. And so someone like Moore could be celebrated because he'd be secularized, he's married, uh, he was jurist, judge, political thinker. But Fisher, not only was he a Catholic bishop, but he was a reforming bishop. He did the things the Reformation LARPed about doing. And so the only thing to do with him is liquidate him. And the only reason we know much about Fisher at all is because of an Anglican uh, who was taking his uh, doctorate at Cambridge, want to know more about the history of the University of Cambridge and especially St. John's College where he, where he was housed. And lo, he, lo and behold, he discovers that the founder of St. John's College was St. John Fisher. And as he you know, went in through his, uh, you know, his life, he's like, wow, this is amazing. And in the process of learning more about Fisher's life, he converts and becomes a Catholic priest and abandons his doctorate at Cambridge. So there's a, you know, incredible story with Fisher. Then uh, Saturday after the 8.30 a.m. mass, we'll be talking about St. Thomas More and the young Henry VIII. We'll start intertwining that course. And of course, the final uh, talk at 11.30, the King's Great Matter in Martyrdom. So it was so always, uh, you know, I give a PowerPoint, uh, which is essentially just pictures to, to keep me, you know, focused on, on where we're going to go. And the um you know so you're gonna hear me blab and i have a lot of you know great pictures of documents and um and other things to show off there so if you're in the dallas fort worth area <laughs> reasonably close i do invite you to come it'd be great to see you i will also be selling books there because i got to get that maximize that grift so i will stay on you for your unpop all right so my unpopular opinion uh, in the wake of the Dobbs decision, a lot of people were focusing, hey, we're, we're going to go after Griswold uh, and Obergefell next. You know, we're going to finally fix the whole gay marriage thing. I have a different solution to gay marriage. All right. My, my solution altogether is to get rid of government in the whole question of marriage so that no more marriage licenses Government, you know, government doesn't define marriage. Government has nothing to say about marriage and should have nothing to say. And in terms of civil effects, back the civil claims of people, you know, agreeing to enter each other, you know, into society and whatnot, whatever agreements they arrange. But outside of that, it has no role. 
It should not have any role. And by doing that, uh, you essentially solve that entire question. You know, the, there's not going to be a danger that churches are then going to be required in the future to administer gay marriages. There's not going to, none of that's going to happen. If, you know, if, if they feel really so strongly that they want to get married, they can go to the Methodist church or someone who will make them feel good about themselves. I don't know. Stop playing this farce that marriage is a thing that you can do before a secular magistrate, a JOP, because what's the first thing a communist did? There were all the revolutionaries. And then again, the, the Masonic revolutionaries in Italy, in, uh, in both in 1848 and 1870, what's the first thing they did as they unified Italy? They tried to take marriage away from the church, and make it a government thing. And you had secular marriages. Anyone who's ever read Don Camillo, <laughs> right, the, the amazing set of his short stories about a priest in the Po Valley in Northern Italy. And of course the communist mayor, there were the, the possibilities to do civil marriage, but because largely because of Don Camillo, there had never been a civil marriage in that particular Valley until a new right priest after, after the council comes to town in the fifth book, uh, Don Camillo and the flower children. Uh, it's also called Don Camillo and the hell's angels at different title. But anyway, same type of thing where he, you know, is, um, you know, trying to keep the tradition going, but he's overruled by this priest who sent in by the new bishop to enforce the council. So the people say, oh, you won't marry us at the old mass? Okay, we'll go get a, a secular, um, we'll go get a secular, you know, marriage. And Don Camillo's like, there has never, ever been a secular marriage in um, in this valley. And then, you know, it's like, but but now you're going to cause it to happen because you won't allow the old mess, right? That that's what that came in Italy by the revolution against the church. So government, the secular government especially, should have no business in marriage. The the marriage license you're forced to get, I mean, I I hold it as completely worthless, as, as of no consequence whatsoever. It's only what happened in church that matters. So my so anyway, so you the solution to getting rid of gay marriage is you get the government out of marriage altogether. Brother Martin. That was pretty good. One. So this past week, uh, a small debate erupted on Twitter about during the procession at the beginning of mass or at the, at the end of mass, um, whether or not the, the lady should bow to the priest as he passes by. And people were like, Oh, it comes from this place. It's the tradition from here. Oh, it comes from this place is the tradition there. But the reality is, um, and unfortunately, I think it's it's very much skewed for us traditionalists now in in the 21st century because we're trying to be what the church always was. But none of us were ever there. I mean, we were born, you know, 1960s, 70s, 80s, 90s, later on, you know, um, pretty much after the council that we don't have a lived experience of what tradition was uh, back in Europe prior to the Baltimore, uh, the Council of Baltimore, anything like that. Um, what we often forget is that in the early uh, in the early 20th century, the early 1900s, a lot of immigrants came to the United States uh, from Eastern Europe, from Western Europe, and these these immigrants ha were forced to establish national parishes. And I learned about this history precisely because I was located. I used to be located in in a in a part of town in in Kansas City, Kansas, um, that had within walking distance like five different national parishes. They had the Croatian national parish the Irish National Parish, the German National Parish, the Slovenian National Parish, the Polish National uh, Parish, 
And all of them, it was actually forbidden for anybody anybody to fulfill their Sunday obligation by going to that national parish if they're not if they were not the ethnicity of that national parish. So if you were Irish, you could not fulfill your Sunday obligation by going to the Creation National Parish. You had to go to the Irish National Parish or any of the geographical um, um, parishes in the area. In the early in in the early twentieth century, things were very segregated, even even in uh, with within Caucasian nations, so to speak. But a lot of those um, parishes were were established precisely because each and every single nation had their own unique traditions and, and their own customs. Um, and so all of those customs obviously were influenced by the traditional Catholic faith, but they were all simply different. Uh, so my unpopular opinion is that, um, and this, I, I'm saying it's unpopular because I really do expect it to blow the minds of American Catholics um, in our age, is that there's not one way to be traditional in the sense that there will be always debates on on the customs of what one should do that isn't explicitly written out in canon law or in the rubrics liturgical law, all that kind of stuff. Um, whether or not one bows to the priest um, while he's passing a procession, I'm not sure there's actually a law saying that a, that a layman must bow at that point uh, in the liturgy to, to the priest. Um, if there is, I mean, you can make me aware of it, but I'm not aware of it. So um, that's my unpopular opinion. And especially in, the, in America, it's going to be hard because we are a melting pot in the sense that we have several different cultures living in cr- close proximities and especially today, there is no traditional national parishes. And so you have people coming from different backgrounds, attending the fraternity of St. Peter um, and all that kind of stuff, bring, bringing their own different customs and traditions. And everybody's going to be arguing, oh, which one should we do? Should we bow? Should we not bow? All that kind of stuff. Um, but the reality is we do live um, um, in a new situation. And and it, it's it's a perfectly okay to think that, that two apparently contradictory customs are still uh, influenced by the Catholic faith. There's, there's nothing contradictory here. So, uh, the unpopular opinion, there's no, there's no one way to be traditional. James. All right. Here's something that's going to have the ire of a lot of, uh, trads out there tonight. Uh, Pope Pius XII, rabid traditionalist or closet innovator. And when I say closet innovator, I really mean just innovator. So here's something interesting. And of course, you you guys already know much of this is there's always a question surrounding how several people rose to power right under the nose of uh, Pope Pius XII. And of course, one of those figures is uh, Archbishop Cardinal Montini, who then became Paul VI. A lot of people are surprised to hear that uh, Paul VI, in a sense, was a protege uh, of uh, Pacelli, but not just a protege, uh, someone someone the Pope himself would call a good friend. Um, and people would, will often understand his pontificate from a standpoint of uh, saying, well, you, you know, this is the classic argument you might hear traditionalists say. Well, you know, uh, Pius XII was getting up there in age. He was sick. He was not um you know aware of the things that were happening under his nose and uh the vatican was not really his own at that time uh but the the truth of the matter is a lot of his innovations started well before uh the 50s now you know some of you may not even realize this but um there was a congress in uh assisi back in 1953 or 54 i'm not sure 
this was the first Assisi moment, right? So it was before uh, JP2, it was before uh, Pope Benedict, and definitely before Francis, right? But this was a different kind of Assisi. In a sense, this was the Assisi for the liturgy, for the customs within tradition uh, in, in the church. And at this very uh, meeting, Pope Pius XII gave a speech basically lauding his achievements as he saw it at that time, you know, and at that time, what had already been test ballooned uh, at certain places were, for instance, that the vernacular could be used in the administration of the sacraments and the faithful could recite certain parts, uh, certain parts of the mass uh, that would have ordinarily been recited by the server uh, and that women could, albeit to certain uh, conditions, sing in the choir. And of course, we have the change of the Holy Week in 1955, but which was preceded by uh, the, the change for Easter Vigil in 1950. Gentlemen, ladies and gentlemen, you know, so what are we looking at here? We're we looking at something that we would like to sweep under a rug, or are we wondering exactly how we got where we are? And if we're wondering how we got where we are, perhaps it just helps to look back and basically understand that missteps were taken by Pius, which I'm not judging his intention in doing what he did, but I am judging the exact things which he did, which have now resulted for us in what we now call the Mass of Paul VI. Now, this is really interesting. Listen to this. I'm going to read this. This is a statement from Paul VI uh, in his... Uh, in his Apostolic Constitution on the Missale Romanum of 1969. This is what he says in closing. He says, The beginning of this renewal was the work of our predecessor, this same Pius XII, in the restoration of the Paschal Vigil and of the Holy Week Rite, which formed the first stage of updating the Roman Missal for present-day mentality. Oof. So I end with this question. Was Pope Pius XII a useful idiot? A willing idiot? Or was he a willful, willing innovator? So. Man, James, where were you when I was debating all them cities on Twitter, man? <laughs> so. Yeah, James was MIA during that whole thing. I know, man. <laughs> Let me hang we it. need you, man. We need you, man. job or something. <laughs> yeah, uh, I have a job or something, Ryan. Thank you. That's or exactly something. Right. Oh, man. You just it. Okay. Well. All right. Here we go, guys. All of you have brought your most incredibly unpopular opinions to the table, but I'm about to pin you down and destroy you just like uh, the last week or the two weeks ago. Whenever the last time I had a resounding victory was. Um, let me lay the groundwork here. What we're witnessing out in society uh, with all these crazy people inventing their identities is because there is a want of identity um, in, in mass culture, in families, in parishes, communities counties, towns, schools, families. 
in America, especially, which we've exported to the West, there is an idea that we can reinvent ourselves or discover ourselves when we leave the house when we turn 18. The idea is you go off and you discover yourself, Johnny. You go decide what you want to be when you grow up. You go uh, take five or six or seven years to go through college, uh, change your major four times, accrue debt, because eventually you'll find the thing that you really like to do, because that's what it's about, being comfortable and doing the thing that you like to do. Uh, you can be anything you want to be, right? You can be uh, famous. You can be rich. You can be someone who you're not. You can be something different. Uh, we're talking about being. We're talking about the identity of a person. And with the advent of technology as well, um, not just the locomotive, but especially the automobile, People are more mobile than ever. You can not only be whatever you want, but you can be anywhere that you want. You leave home and you may not come back. And maybe you move five states away or only five minutes away or maybe five time zones away. And every child in America is expected to zoom out into the world, maybe come back for Christmas and Thanksgiving, but otherwise go establish a brand new identity, a brand new parish, a brand new set of customs. Okay, that's the American identity. My unpopular opinion is that many, if not most, traditional families in the United States anyway are going to are are headed down a path of facing the same exact problems of identity that these insane, crazy lunatics are facing mm -hmm. that we showed you in the long identity reality groomer segment. It's going to happen in your families. It's going to happen in all of our families. And the reason why, in my opinion, is because we have not done a good enough job encountering the what the world tells us in terms of establishing or appropriating a new identity when we quote unquote come of age, when we turn 18 or 22 or, or with Obamacare 26, whatever that line is, when you reach that line, that's when you become your own person, your own identity, your own thing. What we need to get back to are people understanding that what their, what their identity is, that they inherit an identity that cannot change, that does not change, that they are bound to their families and to their communities, to their faith, to their churches. And it's only when we do that, when children know who they are. And this is something I think that the Mormons do really well, for example, in studying genealogy. And this is something that uh, other, other um, communities do pretty well in forcing people to transact, you know, for example, the Jews keep it in the, in the, in the family, right? All economics are practically are referred only within the tribe. Catholics don't do that. Mormons do. Jews do it. Muslims do it. What? Like we're the only ones that don't. So in my unpopular opinion is that more traditionalists are going to have gender confused, uh, um, identity confused children than I think we're willing to accept uh, here on the rundown today. I think it's going to become more, more, uh, more commonplace than you think because we are not doing a good enough job of instilling our identity. 
The oldest son should be trained to take over the family and be the head of the family. He should be raised in a certain way, separate from the other sons, primogeniture. Uh, heavy lies the crown, certain responsibilities, certain privileges. Um, the, uh, the children should know who their great-grandparents are on all sides, their bloodlines. They should know their ethnicities. They should know their cultures, and they should be proud of their cultures. We, the, the melting pot, Brother Martin, Brother Martin hit on it already. The disappearance of the ethnic parishes, I think, is a, is a terrible idea. The fact that we are all just basically Caucasian, I mean, except for the two brown people on this podcast, uh, but we're all basically American. We're all fundamentally the same. We all have the same. You know, we, you try to blend everything together. And one person who I, I know who spent 10 years as a sacristan, as a monk in, uh, in, in Papa Stranze says you don't bow to the priest and you don't genuflect when the cross come down, comes down. Well, who, who are you to argue with that? Well, but, but then again, that's that community. That's that culture. You know what I mean? That's not Eastern Europe. That's Western Europe. Um, but if we don't, if we're totally just ignorant of it all and our culture is America, guns, prepping, freedom, 511 tactical gear, that's not a culture. Nor is, is, is the Declaration of Independence, the Constitution of the United States, voting, freedom, the philosophy of, uh, of, of the Enlightenment. That's also not a culture. So what we have to do, unfortunately, we have, a and this is a long opinion, sorry, but as fathers, we have the burden of not only becoming historians and moral theologians and liturgists and, you know, uh, and, and, and to do all of this, to supplement all the things that the church has abdicated, we also have to do the secular things that the secular culture has abdicated. Namely, we have to reconnect with our true cultures, figure out what that is, appropriate to ourselves, and instill it in our children. And until and unless we do that, until the redheaded kid named O'Malley, who's floating down the Nile River when he's 18 years old, to find himself, to discover who he is, until he knows, hey, of course we all know who he is, right? He's an Irish Catholic. He has a specific culture. He has a specific patrimony. He has certain saints that are taking care of him. He has a family. He has a family. And until our children know that we have a family from whence we come, our children are going to turn out like no better than any than the culture at large. Because the culture at large is we're swimming upstream. It's a tough current. And the only way to be prepared to, to overcome that current, in my opinion, is to have a true identity, a Catholic identity. All right. That was the longest unpopular opinion in the history of unpopular opinions. Ryan won last week. Ooh. However, I won on uh, Twitter. And I'm actually not sure how, because I thought for sure, Mike, you would have won hands down. Um, I, know. Yeah. I said libertarianism is gay. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> <I can't see>. <laughs> <laughs> so now um anyway let's see so we also ran a poll on telegram so let me pull that up here i i, I got that on my desktop and survey says 
James won the telegram. Oh, Bowl. James the Greater. <laughs> what was your so that, Do you remember? Oh, my own pop was uh, uh, you, you can't wave, you can't wave that Vax, that uh, TLM card because it's just like waving a Vax card. You know, it's saying that you capitulated to the forces that be to give you your rights. And so waving your TLM card from the bishop is like waving a Vax card. Which in a sense is true because now you only get a two-year permit and who knows if you're going to have to get, you know, a renewal or whatever. A booster. You're going to need a booster. You're going to need a booster. Perfect. By the way, just for the record, perfect. boosterism is not a culture either. <laughs> right, right. Oh man, are we done here? Is this is this the end? I guess this is the end. I have a very special outro prepared for you guys. <laughs> you fight against our rights. You say we all lead lives you can't respect, but you're just frightened. You think that we'll corrupt your kids if our agenda goes unchecked. Funny, just this once, you're correct. We'll convert your children. Happens bit by bit, quietly and subtly, and you will barely notice it. You can keep them from disco. Um, we do have seen now two cases that have occurred in children. Both of those children um, are traced back to uh, individuals who come from the men who have sex with men community, the gay men. Uh, men We're coming for them. We're coming for your children.